Talk Recorded live. This is Pastor Visser, once again, broadcasting live from the Talk Shoe Gutter. And indeed, joining me this evening will be Obadiah, although it looks like he might be a few minutes late due to the fact that Talk Shoe has unforeseeable problems. I'm sure anybody familiar with the Talk Shoe Radio Network knows this, and seemingly Wednesday, 7 p.m., is a much-desired time slot. But hopefully uh, you enjoyed that music at the beginning because that is a film that is shared by me and my co-host, who is joining us live now from the land down under, the heart of Dirty Melbourne, Obadiah 118 of the Christian Identity Forum. How you doing, brother? G'day, Jeremy. G'day, listeners. Great to be with you once again. And we've, we've had some technical issues, have we? Always, seemingly. You know, talk show, it does it uh, right about 10 minutes before 7. Everything went down on my end. Every other web page in the world was loading for me. 
But TalkShoe didn't. So I rebooted the computer, came back about five minutes, ten minutes late, and everything was there. There's probably about 20, 30 people in the chat room already. Yes, well, I um, I called in at my usual time, about uh, 2, 2, the, the hour, and uh, I waited for five minutes. I thought, oh, no, maybe, you know, uh, Jeremy's been caught up with a big mess deal that he can't get away from. Exactly. So I thought, you know... Um, I'll log in, I'll get onto my computer and go into the chat room and see what the the deal deal was there and all of the the weird and wonderful people were there. The um, one guy, what's he call call himself? This is Meth Lab or something. He's in there and of course you know a million and one Marty sock puppets. But I'm sure there are one or one or two people in there worth speaking to. Now, Jeremy, I've just got to go and switch my computer off. So please entertain the masses for just a minute, if you could. No problem. No problem. And if any of you were listening on last Sunday's pulpit sermon titled Serpents and Worms Part 2, you'll notice that that particular sermon actually faded out on the music that was played at the beginning of this one, tying it perfectly to it. This is a special Saw Yen Part 5, actually. It would be our fifth roundabout Halloween broadcast, but that music was from Dario Argento Suspiria. And I'm sure many of the people who listen to us are well familiar with our uh, love of the Italian film. One thing that's quite interesting I've noticed is a lot of people in CI love coming out and pointing out that the Jews own Hollywood, and that's true, but Hollywood movies really only comprise about 10 to 20% of what's out there. And motion pictures, like everything else, can be an art form that the devil comes along and perverts to his own gain. But we shouldn't block ourselves off from other things. Like that. Also, this one will probably fade out on the same exact token. We've got a lot of things to discuss tonight, especially concerning more darker aspects, because, well, if you'll remember, it was exactly a year ago today that Obadiah 118 and myself broadcasted All Saints Day or All Hallows' Eve, which was an in-depth look at the festival of Sam Hang, quote-unquote, or Saw Yen. Also a look at uh, All Hallows' Eve and November 1st, which is coming up, I might add, that's All Saints' Day. So it is ironic what we pointed out on that last broadcast is, given the perversion history and time, the focus is now put more so on All Hallows' Eve, which is the evening before All Saints' Day. And, of course, that is the time where all the children go out and engage in all sorts of mischief. Now, I've noticed here in the Dirty South, at least where I live here in Brooks, there's been a huge increase of sheriffs and police and everything else because I guess a lot of people consider uh, Halloween to be a hell night, much like that well, film with Linda Blair. The, the reason the cops are out in force in your area, Jeremy, is because they know that the, the visas are in town and, you know, unless they put a stop to this, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of things are going to happen. There's going to be a, a crack house on every street. Exactly. Because after all, I live in a single wide trailer with 25 dogs and 14 parakeets. <laughs> At least that's the new one going around. You know, I mean, what I thought was funny is a lot of people over the last two months have been wondering, hey, you know, what happened to Obi and Visser? What happened to Obi and Visser? Shows me they're pretty lazy because if they go to your webpage or they go to my webpage, they see we're still working. <laughs> we're still doing things. Kind of interesting yes. because, well, well, you know, be it kind of cut a lot of people out who, the trolls, just like you mentioned, and made people actually have to go and listen who wanted to hear the message. Well, my my theory in relation to, to, to talk to you chat rooms is the 10% rule. 
and that is if you took away all of the Zogbots in there, all of the Antis, all of the Jews, all of the Martin Lindstedt sock puppets, all of the dysfunctional whites have got no business being in Christian identity, and you'd have about 10% of the people there would be people you'd really want to preach to. So, you know, out of every 20 people in the chat room, probably two on a really good day three are worth, worth having. So, you know, um, I, I think I probably just uh, alienated most of the people in the chat room, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll survive. Oh, well, you know how that is. Running off the one and only supporter who ever sent me money. <laughs> what? Uh, I love it. Because, you know, if somebody would have just sent an email, hey, what's going on? I would have told them what's going on. Nothing. I've managed to produce two sermons a week every week since, well, 2010. <laughs> well, 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 Jeremy, the truth is, let me tell people what really went down, okay? This is the truth, okay? You're hearing it, you're hearing it straight from the Obergender bender here. A couple of months ago, I started to feel a bit weak and listless, and this feeling, this terrible feeling lasted for... A, well, it just, it just kept going on and on. Every morning I'd wake up and it wouldn't matter how, what I did and what I ate, uh, how much exercise I got, how healthily I, I, I led my life. I felt this terrible feeling of weakness and, uh, and uh, listlessness. So I took myself off to the local quack. He examined me. He said, Obi, look, I've got some good news for you and I've got some bad news for you. I said, well, what's the bad news, Doc? He says, you've got six months to live. I said, well, what's the good news? He says, the weather's going to be fine and mild tomorrow. So anyway, you know, I had six months to live and I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to be with Yahweh, no, no biggie there. But then I thought, well, hang on, what about the vis? I can't leave the vis high and dry. I mean, we all know that you're in a terrible state of poverty at the moment, Jeremy. The, the aluminum sidings on the, on, on the trailer, the double wide trailer are falling off. The kids are starving. You know, I thought, well, I'm going to have to earn some money for the vis. You know, <laughs> send him a couple of mil. So I thought, how can I do this? Anyway, I was teaching um, high school chemistry at the time. And one day I was there, you know, teaching the kids how to make heroin, you know, um, <laughs> medical grade heroin in the safety of their homes, you know, pure grade heroin. And then I thought, well, hang on a sec, I could parlay this into some money. So I started uh, producing meth, you know, in a trailer and I, you know, selling it and... Uh, and uh, the, the only trouble was when it came time to sell it, you have to distribute it. You can't just go on the street and sell it because all these people selling it and you'll, you'll fall foul of them. So the, the, guy who was, the guy who was in charge of the distribution in my area was this guy called the Tinkler. Now the Tinkler was this half-bearded guy who lived in this, um, this, this he called it the hovels. It was a palatial mansion actually. But uh, he lived there with his thousand-pound wife. And he, he was in charge of all the distribution networks. And uh, he had this thing for, for very big women. He used to advertise on um, date, online dating sites. He'd put in, you know, if you weigh a tonne, the tinkler's the one. You know, so he, he was in charge of all, this all of the distribution of drugs. So I had to speak to him. But I didn't get to speak to him because he had, he had a, a proxy, someone I had to deal with. And his name was Johnny Tonto. I don't know if you've heard of the guy, Jeremy, but he's, he's this crazed, vicious thug, this killer. And Johnny Tonto was this deaf mute. But he was a deaf mute with a, a difference. He, he, could say, he could speak, but he could only say two words. And you know what those two words were, Jeremy? Uh, red nigger. <laughs> no, no, the two words were, yeah, pussy. So that's all, all, all he could say, say to him. So, so I, I had to meet this guy and I said, look, Johnny, I've got this, 
I've produced this meth. I'm doing this for charity, for the Visser family. You know, I need to get a couple of mil, maybe five mil, really fast. I've only got six months to live. And I said, can you help me? And he said, yeah, pussy. And I said, you know, the conversation was going nowhere. So we got into a fight. Um, I, ended up, I ended up killing him inadvertently. I pushed him over. He hit his back of his head in a, on a concrete concrete block. He, you know, passed away. And I had to, I had to bury him in this acid bath, acid bath, bath in my home. And uh, you know, while all this is going on, the, the Tinkler found out that um, that uh, this uh, that I'd killed his his, his right hand man. So he sent all of these guys to come and get me. And I, I've been sort of, you know, um, been on the run since then. So um, I'm sort of I'm not ringing from home today. I'm ringing from uh, I'm actually ringing from Queensland because the, the Tinkler sent all his people around to get me. So um, I didn't get the I didn't get the millions of dollars, Jeremy. And um, you know I've still only got a few months to live, and you're still poor. So there you go. Could have been a lot worse, you know. Could have been a lot worse. I mean, you, you could have been stuck down on uh, Rabbit Track Road. Uh, Halloween night with that gummy half bearded thing. You know, I actually saw a half bearded dude driving down the road today. Made me think of Rabbi Samuelson. It was in a in a hearse, it was all decked out. Obviously he was on his way to a Halloween parade or something, but I sense twenty movement turds from what you just said right there. So um what, you actually saw somebody with a literally with a half beard? Yeah, except it was a Halloween, you know, decoration. He didn't walk around that 24-7, naturally. But, yeah, he was all decked out in blood. It was supposed to be like the uh, ghoul bus or whatever. So so Penny. did I miss Suspiria? Did I miss the theme to Suspiria? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, right. We played that at the beginning just to get everybody in the mood. And I even mentioned how, you know, both of us definitely love Argento, and I pointed out how a lot of people are completely anti-media, you know, with a lot of reasons, I say. But I also point out that Hollywood motion pictures are, what, 10, 20 percent of the films that are out there. Frankly, I like Italian cinema. I like Spanish cinema. It's very Jew-free for the most part, unpolluted, not like American cinema. Everything that gets remade out of Hollywood is sure garbage, and I think we're going to discuss some of those tonight. Yes, well, we're seeing an interesting phenomenon on TV at the moment, especially on American television. We're seeing white flight. Uh, whites are starting to disappear from American TV shows. They're still there, but they're being replaced by blacks. We're seeing these white blacks, I suppose you would call them. They're blacks who act white. Um, yeah, Uncle Tom. Sure, yeah, Bill Cosby types. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's the word for that? Because you've got a you've got a word. You've got the word wigger. For, for white people that act like niggers. So what's the word for niggers that act like whites? We call those house niggers here in the South. Because a house oh, right. nigger is usually the type of, you know, Uncle Tom who will play along with the white guys. There's a lot of those who, who are in the police force, you know, and they're more white than the wigger that they usually oftentimes work with. And the irony is, is like Chad Aidy and a lot of these quote-unquote anti-racist activists, they're hated by their own ilk. Yeah, well, I, I think house niggers, I, I think if we have it in one word, like wigger, we'll have to come up with a new term for um, niggers that act white. But um, I, uh, I, I heard that there was this new TV series called Sleepy Hollow, which is based on that legendary story of Sleepy Hollow, about Ichabod Crane and that, the Headless Horseman. And I thought, oh, beauty, this will be great. 
So I downloaded it from the internet and uploaded it to my PBR and one minute later I turned the darn thing off and I swore to myself I'd never watch it again because <laughs> the, tip, the, the main character is this nigger cop, this female cop, her, um, the chief the chief inspector there, the chief, the chief cop there is this, you know, uh, very uh, in, intelligent nigger. Now there's an oxymoron for you. And there's only one white guy really in the cast and he's the one who's sort of... Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what the story is, but he appears to be some guy who met the Headless Horseman back in the 1800s and he's been transported to 21st century America. But um, I thought to myself, oh, I can't watch this. And, and, and then, then they did a remake, they've done a remake of TV's Ironside. Remember with Raymond Burr in the wheelchair? Oh, yeah, sure. And I thought, oh, I'll have a look at this. You know, this might be interesting. It's got a nigger as Ironside. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. my goodness. He was the guy who, he played a lawyer, I think, on um, LA Law years ago. So um, I, I forget the guy's name. But then, then I thought, they've got Dracula. They, they, they produced a new series of Dracula for ABC. And I thought, oh, this could be interesting based on the traditional story of Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. But they've completely stuffed that up too. Um, do you remember the character of Renfield? Yeah, sure. From yeah, Dracula, Renfield was yeah. a... A white guy who, you know, he, he ended up in the nut house. Uh -huh. well, he, he's now a black guy, and he's this very, very urbane, very erudite, very commanding black guy who seems to know, you know, who's who and what's going on, and everyone sort of turns to him for, for guidance. So, uh, yeah. uh, not only that, the Dracula, he, he's out to get these people. What what do they call themselves? It's this group of Christian type people who who are descendants of the um, the Crusaders. Oh, and, like the Templars? Yeah. Well, no, not the Templars. He calls them something else in the series, and they're the villains. So, And you see, you see footage going back in the past of these Templars, you know, burning these poor innocent witches at the stake and just going about creating all of this terrible mayhem. So, so we've got a nigger as a, a kind of, you know, um, go-to guy here, as they tend to be in American TV shows and... Movies, and we've also got Christians being the main villains. And the My Christians, God. by the way, they control all the wealth. They're they're, they're sort of <laughs> like you know your sort of revamped version of the, uh, the learned elders of Zion, or these these are the learned elders of you know the the Knights of the Crusade. Well, I did notice about a year ago they had a Sherlock Holmes television series, and it was all like Lucy Liu, and it was a bunch of brown mau mouths and everything just leave it to hollywood to to do it leave it to disney have you ever noticed how disney will take really good european fairy tales that actually were moral tales like even the little mermaid whatever it is beauty and the beast and they completely pervert it at least since fox and the hound at least since the mid-70s that's my opinion probably earlier well, TV's only going to match what's happening in society we're seeing the uh, the inexorable and um, inevitable supplanting of whites from society and government positions in business and we're seeing this on TV now. Eventually it'll just be all black Indians, Chinese, you name it. Maybe they'll have a few token whites but they'll be pretty much like blacks used to be on TV back in the 60s. They were just token figures who were there just so they could say that they had that particular minority on TV. <laughs> yeah, like Chico and the man. 
20, 30 years later, they'll be hailing them as civil rights leaders. But I agree with you completely. And what I've seen here in the South is a shift in the demographic, especially since Barack Obama, that Antichrist, became, quote-unquote, president. And what I've seen is the Negro go from being the crackhead, the cocaine, drug-addled, whatever, at least here in the South, to higher-up positions because, of course, the propaganda mills feeding that. And the white man now has, for the most part, at least gone into the trailer parks, into the meth dens and all of that. And so it is, you know, genocide on our race on so many levels. And I agree with you, Hollywood, at least by way of television shows, prime times and sitcoms, it's pure filth and it's designed, you know, I can't believe how many things they do. You can almost watch one of these 22-minute episodes and you can count the Ten Commandments being broken in almost every episode. In one degree or another, whether it's adultery or stealing or coveting or lying, you know. Well, I saw a show a couple of weeks ago and it had a, a group of transsexuals on it. And one of them was called Christianity. So, you know, oh. there's, a, there's a, a finger to, to Jesus right there. But, but you see this sort of thing throughout TV. I mean, we're not telling any people anything they don't know already, but it's just a sign of the times. The times, times are getting more becoming more apostate, more anti the things of Yahweh. And um, in one way, the, the fact that um, so many blacks and so many non-whites are, are getting these major roles in TV, TV series and in movies is a good thing because it's making our people become more aware of them, themselves, of their race. Because as, we, as our race gets smaller and smaller in number, we tend to notice each other more. Whereas when we're in the minority, it's you know, no biggie. But when we're starting to be swamped with by, uh, as we are over here, Indians, Chinese, uh, Asians of all varieties, um, you know, niggers of all varieties, you, you become more and more aware of your, your own kind simply because you seek them out more because they become so rare, they become more noticeable. I completely agree. In fact, I, I recently preached on that. I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that the next 10 years, CI is going to have its, its day in court. Because, you know, 10, 15 years ago when we were doing this, there were, there were a lot of people who always came against you, especially on the race issue. That was the biggest thing that I've noticed. Now, I, I godcast on, on YouTube all the time. I've even attracted people from YouTube. But the interesting thing I've noticed over there is a lot of your quote-unquote Judeo-Christians aren't really having too many problems. So what I believe is that the, the gap between the TV evangelicals, the whole false Judeo-Christy, or I should say churchianity, and CI is getting more and more because there are people in Judeo-Christian churches who listen to me, they go Sunday to their church, of course, but then they come home and they listen to shows like me, and it kind of tells me something. They don't really have a problem with it. So what I'm saying is end-time wisdom is increasing, and now more than ever, at least in the next 10 decades, it's going to be really important how we interact, how our behavior is, because naturally you know how the Pharisee and the enemy works. They always use straw men. They always point out your behavior. You go walking around saying, I got two inches of foreskin, it's going to end up on YouTube, and rightfully so. What, the foreskin's going to end up on YouTube or you're going to end up on YouTube? <laughs> the video, oh. you know, right. because that's what the okay. enemy uses. Look at look at what Cobb, right? <laughs> I'm sure oh. we'll get into Craig Cobb, say oh, Cobb, look, of course. We've but... got to get into Craigie, boy, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, my my goodness gracious me. Now, is this guy, this guy's either one of two things, or maybe he's, there's a third option here. He's either the biggest idiot 
in white <laughs> nationalism, the biggest Zogbot, or maybe a, a combo of the two. And for those, I'm sure everybody knows the story of Craig Cobb, and it's been spoken to death, but we're going to bury it some more. We're going to make sure he stays dead. Um, earlier this year, Craig Cobb got a job, or maybe it was last year, fracking, in the fracking industry, and he made a whole bunch of money. Uh, uh, apparently, I think he got the sack um, after word got out that he was, you know, a, a neo-Nazi creativist or whatever it is he calls himself. But he made quite a bit of money and there was a, he was working in Montana and there's a, there's a small town in Montana called Leith, which is in a state of disrepair. It's just a series of old buildings sort of cluttered together, really not much happening there. I think they may have one or two white people there and I think there's a, a nigger there. Uh, you know, even Leith has got a token nigger. So yes, what Craig thought he'd do, he, he, he'd go around, he'd buy up all the properties and create his own white nationalist community. Nothing wrong with that. Great idea, Craig. Really great idea. <laughs> then he goes completely Jerry Lewis, Abbott Costello and Laurel and Hardy all in one by making the most fundamental cardinal error mistake you could possibly make in doing something like this. And you know what he did? He went to a public venue, one, that's, one that is, of all the forums on the internet, VNN forum would have to have more Jews per capita on it than probably you know, a forum from Tel Aviv. I mean, it's just chocker with Jews. So he went on to this public venue and he said, hey guys, guess what I'm going to do? I've bought all these properties in Leith and I'm going to turn it into a white nationalist community. And then guess what happened? Dog caught wind of it about a nanosecond later and this became major news. You know, Nazi in Leith is, you know, he's going to flood the town with Nazis. You know, they're going to kill all the niggers, kill all the Jews, you know, kill everybody situation. And, and, and so, and then to exacerbate it, the idiot then goes around telling, telling the media, oh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put up flags as swastikas. <laughs> and create a flag. That's what I'm going to do. And then he says, and, and I'm going to buff in the NSF. I mean, talk about the worst thing you could possibly do. I mean, first of all, Jeremy, if you're going to do something like this, you don't tell anyone about it. I mean, you tell people that you can trust, white people, but you don't go on to any public venue and announce it to the world. That is insanity. I mean, that is suicidal. Because, no, you know, I if agree. you tell... If you tell people that, if you advertise it, what does he expect Zog to do? To turn a blind eye to it? No, they're going to do everything they can to outlaw, outlaw what he's doing, and that's what they're doing. They're legislating now to outlaw, to, to, to make it so he can't do, do this. So he's completely self-sabotaged the situation. Yeah. And, and Cobb yeah. is an idiot, but he's no fool. He has intelligence. He must have known that this was going to happen, so that begs the question, why did he do it? Because if you're going to do something like this, folks, and it's a noble ambition, I've got, I'm all for something like this, but you do not tell people about it. Now, if he'd just bought up the properties, you know, told a few people he could trust, who'd keep it on the hush, 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 then, you know, they'd be able to set up this little white community. No one would be the wiser. And they'd have a, you know, eventually they'd have a, a little flourishing you know, self-sustaining white nationalist community. But by telling it's Zog, he's completely destroyed it. He's defeated the whole per point of the thing before it's even, have a, it's even had a chance to get off the ground. So you have to wonder, is this guy 
as crazy as he seems or is he some Zogbot doing this to, to see to it that other people who try to do this now will be, you know, that they won't be able to do it because, you know, every county and every state of America will pass, law to, pass laws to outlaw this. That as soon as, you know, a group of people start buying up property in an old place, you know, the, the local council are going to look into it, they're going to be alerted to it and think, oh, well, they're going to do what Craig Cobb did. We can't have this. So, yeah, so, in fact, you know, I agree completely. I think that's going to be the ultimate outcome of Cobbville, is that they're going to pass laws, and, and that's what you know. It's kind of what I was touching upon earlier. Had Cobb gone there, being a Christian, he's not. He's a creator, but knowing to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, he probably would have found that ninety percent of the town of Leaf shared and was sympathetic with his racial views but you go in there with with the swastikas and alienate people what do you expect the average goyim out there to do in the first place he completely brought that upon himself and, and not to mention kyle dutton going in there drunk sure didn't and, help and, the and of all situation. the groups to to invite into your your little white nationalist community the last people on earth I'd invite would be the NSM or any Nazi group, you know, Rocky O.K. Sahaders group or the, or the Ku Klux Klan. I wouldn't invite any of those groups. The reason being they're so, so riddled with, with government informants and Jews, it's not funny. The Nazi groups would be the worst group you could bring along. And not only that, if you have people goose-stepping up and down the main streets or whatever it is they do, you know, with arms emblazoned with swash stickers, people are naturally going to get their backs up about this. But if he'd done it on the sly, if he'd done it quietly, if he'd only told a few people he could trust and they passed the word on to people they could trust, he could set up a white nationalist community. It would have been fantastic. But he completely sabotaged the whole thing. And he, he must have known what he was doing. He's not that stupid. He's an idiot. I'll admit that. You know, I'll certainly admit that. But um, So it really makes me wonder if this guy is working for the government in some way, shape or form. He couldn't possibly be that stupid. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I'm thinking on it, too, because the one thing I've noticed, especially when, when Dutton went in there drunk and was addressing the, the thing, not so much cop, they, they like Rabbi Samuelson and every other kike like him, they always claim oppression. They're going in there crying, no one's selling me stuff, you're treating me worse than a nigger in the 60s, and that's exactly what they wanted. If anybody was denying these white nationalists the right to buy within their town, it would be based on that purpose. I wouldn't dignify it with a response, but then again, I wouldn't walk around piling Hitler either. But it is, it is really ridiculous because some of this, it's like, okay, here's a father of five. I would think a father of five would have sense enough not to take his children to a shack in the middle of nowhere with no utilities and then turn around dumbfounded saying, oh, my God, the Department of Children and Family Services is getting involved. I mean, as far as I know, it's been laws that you must have running plumbing and toiletry since the 40s, because my grandfather had to deal with that. Like it or lump it, it's been the law for a long time. And so they're out there claiming, oh, it's oppression, it's a big conspiracy. No, it's not. Granted, they may be using a lot of what they can, like this plumbing thing, but they brought it upon themselves. They could have went there quietly, and I agree completely with you. And they could have actually probably achieved it. But from what I see now, it's, there's no way. I think by the end of the year, it's going to fizzle and fry. Oh, absolutely. It's inevitable. That, that's definitely on the cards. And you have to laugh at the guy saying he's telling the media, I'm going to put up, you know, uh, swash stickers and... You know, what did the guy expect? And, 
you look at Craig Cobb, and he's a, he's a dead ringer for that guy on Mythbusters, not Nimbusters, <laughs> Mythbusters, the, the, one of the co-hosts. He's, a, he's this ginger-haired guy, he's got glasses and goes around with a hat. Adam Savage is his name. A Savage is quite a, a common Jewish name, and he's a Jew. And uh, Craig Cobb looks like he's his long-lost brother. I mean, he's a <laughs> yeah, dead he ringer. For Adam Savage. He you reminds seen me Adam's... of Doc from Back to the Future. You remember how Doc's hair was all wiry and he was always yeah. like a space case? Yeah. Christopher Lloyd. And, and you have to laugh at these guys. I mean, back in the heyday of Vanguard News Network Forum, when you and I used to post there, we're, we're looking at, what, 2006, 2008? Um, they were... He, Cobb and Alex Linder were regarded as the intelligentsia. They were, you know, they were the apotheosis of white nationalists. And uh, look at them now. You know, uh, Linda's a chronically ill. He's, he's pretty much a recluse, yet you hardly ever hear from the guy, which is good. I'm certainly not knocking that. The guy's as anti-Christian as Matt Martin Lindstedt is. And, and then you've got, then you've got Craig, Craig Cobb who's going around doing these four things. I mean, these are, the, these are the intellectuals for you. You know, and what is it with these people who call themselves intellectuals, Jeremy? I mean, if somebody's going around declaring himself to be a, an intellectual... Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the need the in that? I, I mean, if you're so intelligent that, you know, it, it's obvious from the things you do and the things you write and the things you say, you don't need us to tell us. You don't need to tell us that you're a, an intellectual. We'll be able to come to that conclusion ourselves. It's just like if I went around telling everyone what a great singer I am. I'm the greatest singer in the world. Well, you'd have to hear me sing before you could come to the conclusion whether I was the greatest singer in the world, just saying... I'm a great singer doesn't make me a great singer, and just saying that you're an intellectual doesn't make you an intellectual. So that, those people that go around calling themselves intellectuals, it really means that they ain't. Well said. Well said. I completely agree. And on the same token, those who walk around saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, of some trumped-up charges are usually the ones that are protesting so much because they're the most guilty. Truth is fixed, and it's the same exact way with the Pharisees and the hypocrites. You know, just like when Christ dealt with them in our four Gospels, the one thing I've always noticed and has stood out to me is they sat in Moses' seat. They, you know, they, they taught the law for the most part, but they always condemned everybody else, including many of the other elders of Israel, and they didn't keep the law. They were the ultimate hypocrite, and I see that a lot, you know, these guys who spend all their time judging. I think the reason they spend so much time judging is because they have the most to atone for. Oh, well, absolutely. That's why they do it. I mean, you know, Lindstedt spends all his whole ministry is criticising others simply because it, it's the only way he can make himself look good. And, you know, the guy goes around saying that he didn't do it, he's not a pedophile. But, you know, um, if I were him, I wouldn't go around advocating the rape of little white girls. I mean, it kind of goes against this idea that he's innocent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it is interesting because, you know, that's what I was kind of touching on before is I've seen CI really kind of come into its heyday or maybe people just don't mess with me as much as they used to but you know and i think these shows that we do and other pastors like us do are are extremely important because knowledge is increasing and i think you know whether the internet's part of that i I believe it is and 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 generalized you know everyone's increasing in knowledge there's two classes of people in my opinion those who love the word and those who love the traditions of men and you know so the people who do come against us they're usually riddled in their own, you know, their own traditions. To me, it's ironic. People want to defend a quote-unquote child molester, but then sit there and condemn Paul. You're going to condemn Paul, who wrote 80% of the New Testament, and say, this rabbing 
Antichrist is okay? I'm not going to listen to it. It's ridiculous. It's got we have to, to laugh at that. You have to laugh at that idiot, Russ Walker. He, exactly. he, he made a big song and dance how he, he didn't really want much to do with Marty anymore. But um, it, it, the reason why he didn't want to have anything to do with Marty really, really sort of um, said a lot, spoke volumes about him. Because did he want to have anything to... Did, was he going to divorce himself from Marty because Marty has a show that's based on gossip, which is forbidden in the Bible, and slander, which is forbidden in the Bible? No. Did he, did he want to have... Did, did, did he want to sever ties with Marty because Marty advocates child rape, dismemberment, mutilation, and all manner of horrific crime? No. He, he, wanted, he wanted to have a separation from Marty simply because Marty, Marty wasn't speaking enough about the crisis in Syria. So, folks, I mean, you know, that really says a lot about the guy. So, Russ Walker, he might be white. Eli James said on his show the other, other evening that, that uh, Russ Walker is... Is white, so I'll I'll give him that. But Russ Walker ain't no child of Yahweh. Amen, amen. There's no debate when it comes to Paul, and God knows on the Obi and Visser show we've we've proved unequivocally in other places that the other apostles accepted Paul. You know, Peter, I believe, and several other places. And I have found in my preaching over the last God knows how many uh, that Paul gives many places in the New Testament that valuable second witness, meaning that without Paul, a lot of the prophecies of the Old Testament wouldn't have a second witness. So to me, it validates Paul completely. I don't have a problem with it. I think a lot of these guys who want to throw 80% of the New Testament out are Jews. Consider them by their fruits. That's exactly what the Jew does if they you know, even try to follow the Torah. For the most part, it's the Talmud. Well, the Bible says not to take away from Yahweh's word. And idiots like Russ Walker want to remove how much of the New Testament? About 50% of the New Testament, if not more, was written by Paul? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. And I've never found a problem with Paul. But I have found over the years, I think I expressed this before too, that a lot of women preachers, quote-unquote, have a problem with Paul because he says women are to be silent and a lot of homosexuals have problem with Paul. And, of course, I'm not inferring that anybody is, you know, but uh, a lot You're not of inferring people... that anyone, anyone is a woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Turnabout's fair play. Uh, it's interesting, though, and I'm really glad that you know we're able to do these shows. And perhaps now would be a good time to plug and inform the people as to what you've got going. I think that's great, and I've been excited for this. All right. Well, well, well. First of all, Jeremy and I haven't had a split. You know, um, uh, unfortunately, I didn't get those those millions of dollars, so I'm on the run now. I didn't get them from the Tinkler, and you know, if you if you hear of the Tinkler, be beware, take care, be there. He's a vicious fellow. But um, so we will be doing these shows, but they will be monthly, won't they, Jeremy? They'll be. Um, this is the last Wednesday of this month of October, so the last Wednesday of next month, which will be November, we'll do another one of these shows, um, and the next one will. We do. We'll be a DSCI for dummies, and we'll be looking at the tribe of Dan. So uh, that's going to be quite a quite an epic show. That one, hopefully. So that's what we'll be doing, Jeremy. And maybe we might, because it, because we're only doing these one once a month, we might even toss in a um, Desert Island versus. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, that's a real popular series right there. So so you can come up with um, a, an idea for that, and we'll do that. Maybe maybe we could do the top five monologues from Pastor Martin Lindstedt. 
I know. I think on my forum we had a thread for a while called The Lies That Amy Rose Has Told About You, and it got so big. <laughs> we just stopped keeping track. I think it's funny these guys want to write my history having never met me, having never, you know, anything. I can see because I know what I say and what I release to the Internet, and I can see how the Jew will just take it and they will discombobulate it and they will pass it off as something that it's not. So what's interesting is they can do that to me, a CI pastor. People like Cobb, they put their foot in their own mouth a lot of times. And I hate to get back on that, but you clean up your yard. Why is it always these inferior people claim to be the most superior? They have no humility whatsoever. And I swear there's, I don't know, I think Pastor Eli has something like 10, 15 articles, all titled Jesus Christ is not a Jew, yet they will knee-jerk reaction believe the Jew. Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ is a Jew. It doesn't matter if you prove it to him from the Word of God. So I'm glad that that gap is further being bridged between white nationalism and Christian identity. For the most part, the white nationalists, the brown shirts, are the enemy. You know, we have to be yeah. real subtle when yeah. dealing with them. But I'm also glad to see the gap between Judeo-Christianity or churchianity broadening and sola scriptura Christian identity and pastors who are just teaching the Bible. See, the problem with white nationalists is that they worship race. They worship the, create, the creation rather than the creator. And Christ says, you know, those who won't worship me, bring them before me and slay them. I mean, that's the fate of the white nationalists if they don't turn to Yahweh. And I, I'm convinced that um, Craig Cobb is only a creator just to give Christianity and Christians the fingers, the finger. He, he, he has no interest in... What do they call it? Creativity. Is that the... the Creativity, yeah. Creativity. The creators, which I think is interesting because that Kyle Dutton and his old lady, whatever, when they were doing their interview, he was like, yeah, Craig uh, just introduced me to creativitism or something like that. We don't know anything about it. So he's not even really a creator. Kyle isn't, but Cobb most definitely is. And these guys, they have a rabid hatred of Christ. And, and lo and behold, go figure who steps into the ring to show support to Cobb and attack everybody else who doesn't send them money as yellow bellies but traitor Glenn Miller? Go figure. What a cheerleader that chump is. He's over there. Yeah, you guys are, are chumps. And I wouldn't send Craig Cobb a dime. CI ministry maybe, but I wouldn't send that. That's ridiculous and embarrassing to the white race in my opinion. The Nazis lost. Wake up. You know what I'm That's saying? That's right. Yeah, Hitler isn't coming back, folks. I'm just sick of hearing <laughs> about the guy. And while I kind of admire him and like him, I mean, the endless just tributes to Hitler. I mean, people talk about him, even in CI, almost more than as Christ. Much as they yeah. talk about Jesus Christ, if not more in some instances. It's crazy. When yeah. is it saying scripture that Hitler's going to come back to save the elect? He's not. He's gone, folks. There's not going to be national yeah. socialism. There's not going to be any ism except Yahwehism. You either follow it or you die. It's that simple. Amen. Repent, yeah, repent or perish. Bottom line, I love it. And that's so true, the way you put it, because, you know, when it comes to it, every knee will confess, every tongue, you know, or every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. The truth of CI is going to come out, and what I've been noticing from, from my own personal studies is that's an ongoing process. We tend to think, oh, every knee bows at this point, but yet if wisdom increases in the end times, it stands to reason that wisdom will increase until the second advent. So not only does everyone come to a full realization of the truth, you know, Yahweh was God and he wasn't a Jew, etc., 
but that the word was true. Go figure. All these idiots who spent their entire life wondering what's the meaning of life, creating their own man-made religions, are going to find out that they had the answers all along. Jesus Christ really did foretell them all things. And that's what I think is interesting, because these guys, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm glad I'm not a creator in there, but by the grace of God, glide. But then again, I wouldn't do it. And, and frankly, it's an insult. Because what I'm alluding to is that CI was seen as a crackpot religion in the early 2000s, most definitely in the mid-90s. Now it's not. A lot of people are taking it extremely serious. And when people like Craig Cobb are going out and making and inventing a building, calling it a religion, a man-made you know, bullcrap religion centered around the teachings of a dead Jew anyway, it's an insult to me, at least, as a CI pastor, because of all the strides that me and pastors like me have made over the last 10 decades to become recognized as legit, when all the while we're just teaching what the Bible says anyway. So what I'm saying is a lot of these guys are making a mockery of the whole entire thing, and that's exactly what Craig Cobb is doing. He's calling his church like Credo 64, which is a quote from Ben Klassen, or, or Nature's Eternal Religion, man-made Bible, man-made book, and it's exactly what you said, the worship of flesh, self, meism. It's all it is. It's ridiculous, and, and that's why I'm glad it's further gap, because if you believe you're descended from the same pond scum as the Negro, you might as well just turn around and love your brother, quote-unquote, the Negro. It's Christian identity that says we're created separate and are supposed to remain separate. Yeah, besides, if you, you're descended from, from niggers, I mean, what's, uh, what's to stop you from um, going back to being a nigger? What happens if you devolve? I, I mean, we're always talking about yeah. evolution, how we organisms improve, but they can also go in reverse. They can also also get worse. So we could devolve, we could go back to being niggers, we could all turn into niggers. But I, I, I'm going to write in my novel in a future chapter, um, uh, in fact, the, the, the second chapter, which has taken me ages to do because I simply haven't had time to do it. It's such a, a mammoth chapter is coming out in a couple of weeks and then I'm going to, ch I've made a promise to myself that I'm going to ch churn out a chapter every month and have the thing finished by this time next year or 1,000 pages of it. But um, in, in, in the third chapter called um, The Last Day of the National Imperium, there's a line that says, um, white nationalism isn't going nowhere for it is already there. And that really is what's happening to white nationalism. It's going nowhere. It's um, not accomplishing anything. Might be waking up a few people, but those people really aren't doing much. And um, there really is no future in white nationalism simply because white nationalism is all about race and not about Yahweh. Yeah, isn't it amazing how you had mentioned earlier, we were posting on BNN back, you know, almost a decade ago, and I've been banned from there I don't know how long, but it's interesting to see how, you know, once it once was tolerant of, of CI, and then Lender, of course, got worse and, and everything else. But it hasn't gone or done anything, even that Knoxville rally, you know, that was headed by Ed Fields. And I might add, Glenn Miller posted like two days ago on VNN, hey, I just heard from Dr. Fields. That was all rallied. The whole Knoxville rally for Shannon Christo uh, and Christopher Newsom was rallied by a CI ministry. And Alex Linder went down there, hopped the fence, and got slammed to the pavement, basically. That's his, his claim to fame. But I agree with you. It has gone nowhere. And, do you, you know, you've probably seen as much as I have. All these other groups, ANSWP, Bill White, uh, Hal Turner, the list is endless. Rise and fall, rise and fall, and not a single one of them has done anything but sit in their mother's basement, 
bitching and kvetching about the enemy, while most of them, like Rabbi Samuelson, are sucking Zog's tit in the first place, either serving in Zog in the military, like Glenn Miller, Green Beret, right, or taking welfare, food stamps, Medicaid, etc. Yes, indeed. Um, I, I mean, white nationalism couldn't be in a, a worse state of disrepair, and it's only going to continue because Yahweh is increasing, is widening the dividing line between white nationalists and Christian identities, and let's just call us, call, call us what we really are, Christians and Christians. Um, I know that word's been sort of bandied a bit about, by, um, which, to say the least, by Judeo, by, by mainstream churchianity, so it's essentially lost all its meaning, but, uh, you know, Christians are, are what we are. We're, we're Christian identists are, are no different from traditional Christians. But, um, yeah, as the dividing line gets, gets bigger and bigger, people are going to have to take one side or the other. You know, this idea that we can be, we can be pals with white nationalists and we can, we can take back our lands by, you know, marching in lockstep with them is just ludicrous. Yeah. It's not going or to happen. voting, <laughs> right. I think you it's know, so the, the only way we're going to get our lands no. back is, is by calling upon Yahweh, and it seems, uh, you know, just uh, reading between the lines in Scripture, that it's only going to happen at a point where our people are in dire, dire danger of... Um, facing extinction that we're finally going to call uh, as one going to call upon Yahweh and he's going to come back his son's going to come back and sort out the mess we've got ourselves into but um, it's going to take an, an imminent threat of extinction for us to, to finally turn to Yahweh and that's a good point because the latest projected statistics that I have read states that a hundred years ago in 1913 the white race comprised 44 percent of the global population, yet a hundred years later now, in 2013, we're 8%. That's global scale. Of course, in America, we're more like 60, probably 70. But on a global scale, we've gone down from almost half to a tenth. So that really kind of shows you if we continue at the rate we're going a hundred years from now, you know, when it talks about a virtuous woman, her price being far above rubies, you know, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryan child is going to be more valuable than anything else. And as such, the devil's going to target him, and I believe he's doing that anyway. Even on the adoption market, you can get a mud kid for nothing, you know what I mean? But a white Aryan child costs you twenty grand. So, you know, they're becoming, we are becoming more and more valuable, and that's why we need to step it up. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We need to arm ourselves. We can't be punks. We can't be doormats. But at the same time, we have to be meek. Yep about the way we, we do things and, and subtle about it. And we've got to stop going on and on about the, the Canaanite woman and her daughter and uh, what's going to happen to non-whites when Yahshua returns. I mean, who cares? I, mean, I can't believe that this whole controversy is still going on. And on Four years. And Four on years. and on. And on. And friends like Hitler, they're not going to shut up about it. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I don't care about the Canaanite woman. You, you know, so what if Yahshua blessed her daughter? Well, well in, in, in one respect he did, by, by healing her. That doesn't mean that Canaanite women are good or Canaanites are good or that Yahweh's going to save Canaanites or that if you only have a tiny drop of Canaanite blood in you, you're okay. No, it doesn't. I mean... The, the Bible said, uh, back in the Old Testament, Yahweh gave the children of Israel the opportunity to wipe out all of the Canaanites. They had the chance to do that. They were in their sights. They could have done it. We wouldn't have had to put up with Jews 
today. But they didn't do it. They disobeyed Yahweh and he said, as punishment, until kingdom come, you're going to have to put up with Canaanites. They're going to be the biggest nuisance, the biggest peril in your lives, the biggest thorn in your side, the Bible you, you describes it as. Um, so when Christ was, was on the earth in a flesh body, the Canaanites were, were, were still alive and thriving as they are today. And that was part of his, his father's promise to Israel that the Canaanites would always, would, would always be with us until, until the very end when, when he wiped them out completely. The Bible says in Zechariah, there won't be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. He's going to get rid of all of them. There won't be any left. Same with Edomites. And uh, so, so, so we, the reason that Christ healed that woman's daughter was because, according to the scripture, she showed great faith. However, it doesn't say she showed great faithfulness. Huge difference. You can have great faith but not have great faithfulness. Faithfulness is following Yahweh and being one of his, obeying his word. So she had great faith in that she knew who Christ was and she knew what her position was in his kingdom. Uh, well, she really wasn't a part of his kingdom, but she knew her place in the world. And he, he, he acknowledged that and he healed her daughter simply because... He, 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 as the father, promised, promised the Israelites many years before that, hundreds of years before that, that there'd always be Canaanites. And who knows, that Canaanite girl that he healed may have gone on to be a thorn in the side of some Israelite and an important thorn in the side of the Israelite because the Bible says faith comes through tribulation, you know, trying of your faith and, you know, having a thorn in your side quite requires faith to, to deal with that. And maybe she, that, that, that young girl grew into, you know, a this real shrewish Jew woman who became a real thorn in some Israelite side and that Israelite had to turn to Yahweh and really trust in Yahweh and stand on his word in order to overcome that woman and um, that person got greater faith as a result of that and was able to do more for Yahweh as a result of that. But overriding all of that, overriding all of the theories that various Christian identists have come up with, including mine, as to why Yahweh healed the woman, we have to understand this. The Bible says to be like little children, and that is to accept whatever Yahweh does and not to question him. And I'm sure there is a reason for, Yah for Yahshua's healing that woman that we we're not aware of, that's beyond our comprehension. And I'm not going to worry about that, Jeremy, because I know that when I go to sleep tonight, my heart's going to beat, just like it did the previous night. And I don't have to think about it. And while I'm asleep, I'm going to breathe. And I don't have to think, I don't have to be conscious of breathing. My body's going to do that automatically. And while I'm sleeping, the earth's going to revolve on its axis like it's always done. And when I wake up in the morning, the sun's going to rise in the east and it's going to set in the, set, set in the west. And there'll be oxygen for me to breathe throughout the day. There'll be food for me to eat. There'll be water for me to drink. The, you know, the sun, the, sun, the stars will, will move in their courses. And, and, and what I'm getting at, folks, here is that Yahweh has it all in hand. Everything. You know, all of creation, all of the universe, all of the multiverses, as some phys physicists are theorising now, that we've got more than one universe. So if Yahweh can handle all that, if he's got that all control, in control, can do such a great job with it, with, our, with the, you know, the, just the, the, the genius design of our bodies and all the intricacies, all the, you know, biochemistry and biomechanics involved in our bodies, if he can do all the, these things and do them so wonderfully, so perfectly, then his healing the Canaanite woman is no biggie. He's got that in hand. We shouldn't worry about that. And it's the same with these non... What's going to happen with non-whites? 
when Yahweh returns? Well, my, I'll answer that with a rhetorical question. Who gives a rat? Who cares? <laughs> this is not our concern. Nowhere in the Bible does, does Yahweh tell us to concern ourselves with non-whites, apart from them being in our lands and overrunning our lands. But as far as their fate is concerned, apart as far as ministering to them in any way, shape or form, that's just not on the cards because he doesn't tell us to do that. And if he doesn't tell us to do it, why worry about it? Why make a big song and dance about it? Why go on and on and on about it? Who cares what happens to them? Whatever Yahweh does to them when he returns, when Yahshua returns, whether he wipes them all out or allows them to live on the island of Madagascar somewhere or some, you know, in the Antarctic somewhere. Who cares? <laughs> who cares sorry Jeremy I went off into a bit of a rant no, that's there, a, but, uh, it's a really sorry, great what? point because it was Jesus Christ who said I am sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel who instructed his disciples to do the same exact thing go only to the lost sheep meaning people or race of Israel and yet a lot of people want to wonder and worry well what about the Samaritan <laughs> you know I agree with you it's, it's really kind of a non issue it shows a lack of faith in Yahweh because it's saying, oh, I think Yahweh slipped up there. I think he made a mistake. Oh, I'm questioning. I'm going to have to question Yahweh about this. Well, don't. The Bible says don't question. The Bible says to come to him like a little child. And what does it mean like that? You just think a child accepts, readily accepts anything and everything his parents or her parents tell him or her. And that's what we're supposed to do. We just have confidence in Yahweh because if he can, you know, make the universe such a great place, make the world such a great place, you know, have everything function beautifully, that, then we shouldn't doubt him on any issue or question him on any issue. Have faith in it. Just simply put it down to, I'm not quite sure why Yahweh, I'm not sure about all the reasons that Yahweh healed the Canaanite woman, but that's fine. He's Yahweh. He knows a hell of a lot more than I do. Oh, I'm, yeah, exactly. And I'm so sure that, you know, Yahweh can heal a sparrow who's in mid-flight and loses a wing or whatever in the, in the, in the woods where no one sees, <laughs> you know. But yet a lot of people want to want to worry. And I like the way you put that because, you know, Yahweh is in control. And the Word sure testifies to that. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought. And, and ironically, what I've noticed is the Judeo-Christians basically teach a form of, of Christendom, but they have God removed. They don't think God knows any of the things or is in control or really spends much time governing and directing our past. And that ties so perfectly into the difference you were pointing out between being faithful and walking or just having faith. You know what I mean? We could be on the brink of death and all there is is a Hindu doctor and you have, you know, okay, you have faith you're going to live and he's going to set your leg back because you were in a horrible accident. But that's not like worshiping him or becoming a Hindu. I'm not even promoting, you know, even doing that. But it's, it's a good point because the devils believe and tremble. And I believe also that the cattle and everything else are, are subject to that. So, you know, God's going to heal them. And in essence, healing the Samaritan woman was the same as healing a dog. So be it. <laughs> well, well, when, when the collapse comes, whether it comes all of a sudden or incrementally, I, I tend to think it will probably be the latter, but I could be wrong. We're not going to worry about the Canaanite woman. We're not going to worry about what Yahweh's going to do to non-whites when Yahshua returns. We're going to be so concerned with just, you know, staying alive and keeping our families alive that um, th these things will be just be a complete non-issue. And we need to be building up our faith now for those the trying times ahead because we're not going to get through them unless we have faith. And this is what Yahweh's That's telling a really good us. Point. Have faith in him. I mean, 
you know, we've said it a million times on the show about that when, when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and, uh, you know, the, there was this huge tempest uh, struck up and it looked like they were going to, you know, hit the drink. It looked like they were going to die and Christ is having a good snooze in the, the boat there, you know, not a care in the world. And he gets up and he just says to the, to the storm, cool it. And, you know, they're sort of, you know, absolutely aghast. You know, this guy can control the weather. What the heck? And he yeah. said, you know, have faith in God. You know, what, why do you fear? And, you know, in the natural sense, they had good reason to fear. You know, there's a storm. But, you know, the, the point is, is that he is Yahweh. You know, he controls everything. There's nothing that he doesn't control. So no matter how bad things are, Yahweh will right them. He'll correct them, even if they come down and, you know, tell things to stop. You know, storm, stop, fire, you know, go out, you know. Uh, yeah. Alien menace, go away, whatever the case may be. And that's the whole point. He's... This is a training session for us to trust in him no matter what. And, you know, if we're freaking out over the Canaanite woman, we're not trusting in him because we're, we're questioning, you know, the creator of heaven and earth. And it's not, not, not a very wise thing to do. I think that's a really great analogy, too, because what I think the listeners should take away from that whole narrative is the fact that she was considered a dog by Christ, and her retort was the dogs eat from the master's table. And in worrying about, you know, the other races or the Canaanite or even the Samaritan, when you worry about that, you run the danger of forgetting that they are dogs and they should get the crumbs. And in short, what I'm saying is it should go to us first and foremost. And the bleak times I see on the horizon, it's going to be both good and bad. Yahweh will protect his own, you know, no matter what's thrown at us. But with the bleak times ahead, we should be stockpiling, taking care of our own when it comes to food, our pantries, and everything else. That's exactly what I'm seeing here in the South. And if the STFF, whatever, the reality of it is, is I'm not handing my food out or nothing to none of these non-whites. It's going to, to Israel first and foremost, and in my instance, it'd be my children and my family. You know, And that's what I think the danger is of worrying and spending so much time concerned about what happens to these other races i agree with you who cares christ didn't he yep, said i come right. only for israel it all comes down to who cares now jeremy we touched on this briefly but we 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 uh, sort of got uh, went down a, a whole lot of different tracks and spoke about a whole lot of different subjects but you mentioned this podcast that i'm going to do i'm going to yeah. do a, a podcast soon it's going to be pre-recorded it's going to be in 128 kilobytes per second sound so it's going to be really high quality i'm going to go the way of Harold Covington, uh, and I'm certainly not suggesting that I, I'm as erudite and as good a speaker as, uh, as he is, but um, I like that style of doing a show because you, you don't have to put up with the chat room. No offence to the decent people in the chat room today. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> um, you, don't have to, you know, that becomes a non-issue. You can put it out whenever you want, and, uh, you know, I'm going to script the, the whole box and dice because I'm not a very good speaker so that way I can make sure that I get all my points across and that I'm going to have a few little bits of you know funny audio going to have a few little funny audio grabs interspersed amongst everything I'm going to um at the end of every podcast it's only going to be an hour long podcast because I don't think people could cope with my shocking voice for, for more than an hour without going completely mental but um, at the end of every podcast, I'm going to play a, a classic Aussie rock song, give a little bit of a story behind it. I'm going to promote a bit of Aussie music. I was going to sort of intersperse Aussie music between various segments, but I thought, no, that's not a good idea because if you listen to it, like I have an iRiver. It's sort of like an iPod, except it's better than iPod because you can do everything through um, Windows Explorer. I, I, 
thing I hate about iPod, you have to do it through their crappy program, and uh, I just hate it. But anyway, with my iRiver, you can't fast forward through tracks. Um, so so if, if, you, if I play a song that's five minutes long and people don't like it and they're listening to it on an iRiver or something like that, then they've got to put up with it for five minutes. So what I thought I'd do, I'd, I'd put it, the music at the end of the show. That way, if people want to listen to it, they can. If they don't want to, well, you know, the show's already finished and, you know, that'll be fine. And I'm going to... I'm going to have a series of segments on my show. I should point out that my show is going to be devoted to Christian identity and Christian identists down under. So it's going to be an Aussie-based show. Um, that doesn't mean that I won't have sort of broader range material in it that will be of interest to sort of um, other people. It certainly will. I'm certainly not going to just make it entirely about Australia and nothing else, but predominantly going to be about um, Christian identity down under and Christian identists and uh, issues of interest to Christian identists living in the great south land. Um, what else was I going to say? Yes, I'm going to have a, a segment in it called CI101, which is going to be very similar to DSCI for dummies. Did you notice that Eli James did a sort of DSCI for dummies with um, John Friend? Yes. Yes, I did. And you know what's interesting about that? is when, we, when you first came up with the name, I was really kind of reserved by it. I was like, I wonder if people are going to be insulted by this, calling them dummies, you know. But I'm glad we wow. did because it's one of our most popular primers. So it's like that is kind of telling right there, though. I know we came up with it first. So <laughs> Anyway, um, I'm going to do a similar segment called CI 101. I'm going to talk about the basics of Christian identity and uh, doctrine. And in the first podcast, I'm going to take a look at the called Genesis, and I'm going to see if I can even distill it down to make it even simpler than how we presented it. I thought I'd look at the, 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 the background to the writing of the book of Genesis because a lot of the, especially what took place in uh, the Garden of Eden, certainly how it's um, written by Moses, um, well, there are stories very similar to that that actually predate the writing of Genesis. So we're going to look at that and sort of set the foundation for it. That way, um, sort of what went on or what didn't go on in the Garden of Eden, I think people will be able to grasp that a lot more readily. So I'm going to have a series of CI101s. I'm going to sort of structure my um, uh, podcast like a, um, like a series of learning tools, like a series of lessons, but not sort of explicitly so. I'll, I, so I'll have, you know, news and views and little bits of humour here and there, so it won't be sort of, you know, I'll try to make it as interesting as I possibly can. The reason that I'm doing a show for Christian identists um, down under, Christian identists in Australia, is because we have a problem at the moment. And don't take this in the wrong way, folks. Let me explain myself here. And the problem is that every podcast, every Christian identity podcast, certainly every Christian identity podcast that I'm aware of, and if there are some out there that I'm unaware of, folks, please please let, fill me in on this. Um, every Christian identity podcast comes from America. And, you know, this isn't a slight against America by saying this. You know, praise Yahweh for all you guys and gals over in America doing Yahweh's work. You know, we praise the Lord for you. But that's not a good situation, simply because no matter what land we are in, no matter how far and wide we are apart from each other, no matter how small the community we're living in, no matter how big, if we're in Yahweh, if we're filled with his spirit, then he is with us. And if all the Christian identity podcasts come from America, then it's, it doesn't say much about the people living in other countries as far as you know them reaching out to other people in their countries. There should be a Christian identity podcast 
in every country. I mean, Britain, a country as big as Britain, with England, Scotland, Ireland, there isn't a single Christian identity podcast that comes out of that country. There's not a Christian identity podcast that comes out of Germany, out of Denmark, out of South Africa. And I mean, all these countries, there are Christian identities. So what are we doing? We have this wonderful technology. It's free. I mean, obviously, you have to pay for your internet connection. But apart from that, it doesn't cost a lot of money. Setting up your own podcast is easy. All you need is a microphone and a, a recording program like Audacity. And the beauty of doing a show from your own country is that you reach out to people in that country who might be Christian identists, who might be feeling isolated, who might be thinking, as I have in the past, that oh, wouldn't it be great to live in America? Wouldn't it be great? If only I could live in America, I could do so much more work for Yahweh over there because there's so much more fellowship to be had over there. But wherever, the Bible says, wherever two or more gathered in his name, Yahweh will be with us. And Yahweh's put us in all these lands for a good reason, so that we would obviously, you know, conquer those lands and, you know, settle those lands and put white civilization in those lands, but so we would, you know, reach out to people, reach out to the various tribes living abroad. And, you know, I would be crazy not to do some sort of Christian identity podcast in Australia, simply just to let people know that there are other Christian identists living in Australia, you're not alone. And by doing that, to encourage people living in other countries, countries that aren't so big and aren't so populated um, as the United States. There should be Christian identity podcasts all over the world. While Yahweh's given us this wonderful technology, the internet, we need to make the most of it. We need to be showing people that no matter where we are in the world, no matter how isolated we are, we're not isolated at all because Yahweh's with us and he can work a mighty work with us even if we're, it's only to a, a handful of people. So um, that's, I, I hope I kind of explained myself there, that's re the primary reason that I'm, I'm going to do this podcast. The first edition will be probably in about a month's time. I'm waiting, I have to get a microphone first. I'm going to order one from Amazon. I can get it for half price. Over here, it's going to cost me about 100, 145 bucks. If I get it off Amazon, it's only going to cost me about 50 bucks. But um, yeah, so, so that's why I want to do a show, to, to reach out to people in this country and to encourage people in countries other than the US. And this isn't an insult to, to people in the United States. This is just telling other Israelites to get off their duffs and start you know, reaching out to people in your country. Even if you're fellowshipping by yourself, it doesn't matter. Yahweh will team you up with people. Because, Jeremy, when... When the poo finally hits the, the ventilator, <clears throat> we're not going to, I'm not going to be able to reach out to people in America because we probably won't have the internet anymore. There probably won't be any form of electronic communications other than what the government has. So I'm going to have to, if I'm going to, you know, reach out to people in my country, you know, I, I want to, you know, get to know some of the Christian identists in my country. You know, I, I think we should be getting together, forming house meetings. We shouldn't be, you know, forming big organisations because they only become targets for Zog anyway. But um, we, uh, are you there still, Jeremy? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, sorry, sorry, yeah. So, so you know, by by starting up these podcasts, reaching out to people in, in, in countries other than the United States, and you should be doing this in the United States as well, you know, you could start networking with people not doing it in a way that's going to draw Zog's attention, only do it in the form of house meetings, you know, like it did in the early days of the church, you know, moving from house to house, do it that way and getting the spirit to guide you to, to people who are of a similar, similar, you know, mind and spirit to you. And, and, but, but by having these podcasts in every country where there are Christian identists, and I would say in every 
country where there's you know a, a fair number of white people, there would be Christian identists. So we need to start up this thing and get it rolling now. What do you reckon, Jeremy? Hey, man, and I know for a fact, once you start doing it, they're going to come out of the woodwork, and you'll be surprised how many there are. That was one of the first things I noticed. And to this day, I still get emails and contacts from people that are, you know, three, four blocks from me who are CI. It's amazing. It's a, they don't even know what the title is. It's just like YouTube. Most of the people who listen to me, they don't know what Christian identity is as a label. They just recognize truth when they hear it, and the truth is the Word of God. And I'd like to see it expand. I'd like to see, you know, shows popping up for the, uh, you know, the Italians, the, the Spaniards, the Irish, every one of the 12 tribes of Israel, because that's exactly what we need to be doing. And it is interesting when you look at, like, our Google Maps and everything, when the people where they come from, they literally come from all around the world. And they, they'll seek you out, and they'll listen to it. And I think it's great, because that's exactly what you should be doing. And these scumbags who walk around quoting Ezekiel about harsh speech, quote-unquote, I agree with you 100% when it comes down to this ignorant southern drawl that a lot of people use, especially like Logan Poofter, who believe Hitler was on the moon and Honey Boo Boo was a spaceship, etc. You know, they go, I'm going to teach Yahweh's word. You want to talk about harsh speech? That's harsh speech. And people who quote that couldn't bear to hear Aramaic. So bottom line, they quote it to their own, their own liking. I don't like so-and-so's, you know. You know, all this intertribal war, warring, you, you leave it to the white people long enough, eventually they'll find a reason to start attacking each other, the oh, French and the British, you know. And I think it's a great thing what you're doing because CI is a, it's a global thing everywhere, and, and it's amazing the listener. So I'd like to see it popping up for everybody. I think the mistake people make, there are people in Christian identity who have all sorts of theories as to what the New Jerusalem is. I don't know what your theory is, but I know that the late Arnold Kennedy, he used to believe that um, God was going to gather us from all the corners of the, the globe and we're, all get, we're going to settle, this is the white people, the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic and kindred people, and he, he was going to resettle us in um, Palestine. You know, we'd, be in, we'd literally be in Jerusalem. Now, there are a lot of people in Christian identity I know who believe America is a new Jerusalem. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I tend to think, and this is just my opinion, folks, take it or leave it, that's fine, is that wherever we settle is going to be Jerusalem. And, and I think it would be a shame, Jeremy, that, that, that we'd all have to live in America. As much as, you know, I, I like Americans, white Americans, that is, and, and your country. It looks like a very beautiful country to me before, you know, non-whites came along and stuffed everything up. But, um, you know, it, it would be a shame if we had to abandon such a magnificent piece of real estate as Australia. Now, now you haven't been to, to Australia, Jeremy, have you? No, I haven't. But I'm sure, like you've seen, you, I'm sure you've seen a few happy snaps of it, a few maybe little documentaries. It is a magnificent island continent. It is a beautiful place. And for us to have, have to abandon this and give it to the abos, <laughs> yeah. Or, or, just, or, or, if the abos, or, or if, according to some people, you know, Yahweh's going to wipe out the abos, just leave it to nobody, would be ridiculous. The Bible says all of the earth and the fullness thereof are who, Jeremy? Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to tie into it. Now, I would tell you the New Jerusalem's USA, but you know what? To you, the New Jerusalem's going to be exactly where you are, because technically the quote-unquote New Jerusalem is the reestablishment of us getting the land that Yahweh God gave us in the first place, wherever we are, and he dispersed us. And he, he did that himself at the Tower of Babel. 
So there's a reason for us to be dispersed. If unity is spiritual, and that's exactly what's great about what you're doing, because spiritually getting connected, that's, that's much greater. But, you know, you're going to get your land back, we're going to get our land back, because it was always Yahweh's all along. That's the beauty of it. You know, honor exactly. as it is in heaven, world without end, all men. The kingdom is here. And that's, that's the beauty of it all, so... I don't want to live in America, and that's no slight to Americans. You know, yeah. I'm not having, I, I understand you were born and raised in that country. You love that country. Your blood is in that country. Yahweh bless you. Well, my blood is in this country. I was born in the heart of uh, Melbourne, Australia. In a, uh, the, the, the hospital doesn't exist anymore. It's the Queen Victoria Hospital, it was called, right in the heart of Melbourne. And I just had Melbourne in my blood. And this is back in the days when Australia was a predominantly white country, when the... Uh, the white Australia policy was still in effect. And I grew up, you know, Australia was just a paradise back then. It was just a wonderful place. And, and I have such fond memories of that. And I want to see it like that again. You know, I don't want to leave Australia after Yahweh cleanses it of the alien menace. I want to see how great Australia is after, afterwards. Now, of course, you know, I'll have my Shekinah glory then. You know, I'll be one of Yahweh's administrators and maybe he might send me to some other area. But I'm hoping it'll be... I'm hoping you'll make me king of Perth. Or somewhere where there's lots of sunshine in Australia. You know Just what I'm me. saying, I Jeremy? Of, of, I want to be the Pope of Granby. There should be, be no higher of... position than that. I tell you what, I, I, I'd like to... Uh, you know what I think your first uh, duty should be? Just levelling 338 Rabbit Track Road. Well, why not? The state's eventually going to do it within the next few years. I've seen some pictures making the rounds. Oh, my goodness. Talk about, you ever see that television show, Hoarders? They'll be going through people's houses, and they'll be moving boxes stacked to the ceiling, and they'll find dead cats and dead rats. And Oh, of, of course, that's something we haven't discussed, the photo of 338 Rabbit Track Road. I don't know if people have seen the latest one from Google. I've got it posted in the um, 10,000 Sock Puppets thread on my forum. It's in the general discussion section of the ChristianIdentityForum.net. Gee, Jeremy, we're an hour and a half into this almost, and I haven't plugged my forum. What's wrong with the old labor gender bender? But anyway, if you see... Too zombie, if you, yeah. <laughs> if you see his house, he's got two little windows. I don't know if it's the front or the back of the place, and you've, he's, all this junk piled right up to almost the top of the windows in this dump of a place. I mean... Uh, if I, I lived like that, Jeremy, I, 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 if I lived in such squalor, such you know filth as that, I'd commit suicide. I couldn't live with myself. And what I find is hysterical. If you look closely at that picture, just above the windows, he's got Christmas tree lights. <laughs> yeah, I got that. He's got oh. Christmas tree lights hanging off the roof. I mean, why would you even bother? If I had a pl I mean, the reason you put Christmas tree lights on a place, Jeremy, is to draw attention to it, do you not? If I lived in a dump like that, I wouldn't want anyone to look at it. I'd have a sign at the front saying, you know, hurry on, folks, there's nothing to see here. Or I'd have a sign that said, you know, Tres warning, trespassers will catch hepatitis B or something. I, I wouldn't want anyone going near the place. I, I think I'd put a get a giant paper bag and putting over the place but putting christmas tree lights on it just the insanity behind that is just mind-boggling <laughs> i gotta agree with you there man exactly big bad old white nationalist wannabe ci pastor found ci under mine and galette's church got christmas lights up on his tree anyway you know or up on his house 
<laughs> what? Oh, uh, why, why not hang out in a bar and have mud women sitting on your lap and take pictures of it? And, <laughs> and did you hear the I've audio grab? Too. Did you hear that audio grab? I posted it in the Ten Thousand Sock Puppets thread on my forum. Oh him, yes. Him and his yes, brother sir. having a ding dong Three bags full, officer. Oh, what yeah. a hypocrite! I now, love for those it. who don't know, Mike. Uh, Marty's got a brother called Mike. You've got Mike Lindstedt, Marty Lindstedt, and Martina Lindstedt, his mother who recently passed away. You have to wonder about that, Martin and Martina. Maybe she was hoping Marty was a girl and she, she, she was going to call him Martina, but uh, she ended up with Marty. But, uh, oh, there you go. Gee, gee, the, yeah. you know, the Just like Superman camp. Yeah. But, but anyway, anyway, she, Martina Lindstedt passed away. Was it early this year or, or late last year? Anyway, she passed on and... Um, his brother was in charge of the house, and his brother thought to himself, oh, I'll make a bit of money out of this. So he put it on the market. He was going to sell the house and all the goods and chattels therein, have a big auction and make a pretty penny out of this. And I don't know if all the money was going to go to him. or, But, but anyway, um, Marty objected, it, objected to this. So he got into the Marty-mobile. He drove down to wherever the house is. I think it – is it in Missouri somewhere, or is it? Yeah, yeah, Granby, Missouri. Oh, Oh right, so 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 his mother's property's in Granby, Missouri too. I think. No, I, I you know actually yeah, because they ended up Mike and Marty ended up throwing her carcass in the back of the truck and driving it back from somewhere. So I believe it was actually somewhere roundabout, but definitely in the state of Missouri. Well, I hope they didn't drive over too many bumps. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, weekend at Bernie's, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Mike, so Marty rocks up at uh, at Martina's place, and uh, he, he's having an argument apparently in the the front yard with Mike. You know, they're calling each other every name under the sun. And about five minutes after this, you know, quite it's quite a row. You know, quite a quite a sizable volume here. And a cop rocks up about five minutes later. Now I don't know whether whether Mike called him or whether a next door neighbour called the cop. But here's a question for you, Jeremy. Just go. I, I, I know you know the answer to this question, but just going by what Marty has said about cops in the past. Now he doesn't even call them cops; he calls them pig lice. He says yeah. he's going to gald them all, skin them alive. He's going to dismember their kids, feed them to their cop parents. So you know the the pig lice. So just going, just going by by what Marty's posted about the pig lice and what he said about the pig lice in the past. What do you think his reaction? What do you think his demeanour would have been towards this cop? Well, you would think, you know, to hear it out of Marty's own mouth, that there would have been a whole lot of gelding going on. There would have, you know, there would have at least been a little bit of protest there, a little bit of Craig Cobb-type behavior, but uh, from the audio clip I heard. Ugh. No, what you got, folks, was the complete antithesis of it. He went so far in the opposite direction, it was an embarrassment. He was, yes, officer, no, officer, three bags full, <laughs> officer. There's one... One point where he says to the officer something about some legal matter and the cop corrected him. And, and Mike said, oh, 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 yes, yes, you're right, you're right. And he just sucked up to this officer like you wouldn't believe. And it was only when he was getting into the Marty Mobile and driving off that he says, oh, oh, well, I'm going to get you. You know, I'm going to see you in court, you know, you bitch. <laughs> and he, he drove off and then later on he said, oh, you know, um, uh, it all worked over gender bender said that I was a coward, that I was a hypocrite. No, I wasn't. I was just doing that because there is a time and a place for everything. So, But I'll tell you when the time and the place 
Fermati used to geld these cops and dismember their children. The time is never and the place is nowhere. <laughs> Marty is never going to do any of this. And whenever you get him in a situation where he you know, can either put up or shut up, he always runs screaming. He had that chance to take on um, Traitor Glenn in a fair fight years ago. He ran screaming right, for that. Yeah, yeah. He, he had a chance to, t- to put the cop in his place. I'm not saying he should have galled him or committed any act of violence, but at least, you know, told him off, oh, you ratbag cop, you shouldn't be doing this. But no, oh, Marty, meek and mild, Marty. What a hypocrite, what a gutless wonder. Three best, four. What a punk. I know, I heard that, and I was just like, oh, there you go. There you go, you get what you pay for. Kind of, I'm already You know, if we didn't mention him, he wouldn't have his four sock puppets listening anyway. If people want to listen to that, it's in the 10,000 Sock Puppet thread on the, the last page of that thread in my forum. It's the second last post, and I, I think I've called the link Mike and Martin, sorry, Mike and Marty in Martina's Money. So, so, because that's what it was all about. It was all a fight over Martina's millions or however much money we <laughs> Yeah, they're, these guys are going, to, they're going to blows like brothers turning on each other for like an, an entire estate worth nine grand. Now, I don't know where he lives, but nine grand, you know, nine grand would last me about two months, three months, paying bills. These guys are going to blows. Like, that's a lot of money. But then again, Marty thought that 200 bucks for a V. Bolton license was a lot of money and started saying Zog was funding it, etc. Nine grand, I could probably pay two electricity bills with that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what I'm saying. You have a couple DVDs at the pawn shop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, I tell you what. You gotta it, love it, though. But, but the, the hypocrisy of the guy, and the, the way he always tries to save face. Remember that time he went on the Jim Giles show and Jim Giles gave him what? Oh, and Marty turned around and said, oh, I was only doing that to roll him because of Edgar J. Steele. I wanted to get justice for Edgar J. Steele. Well, that's right absolute BS. Yeah. The, reason, the reason that Jim Giles went off, off on him wasn't anything to do with Edgar J. Steele, it was because he kept talking over the top of Mona Montgomery, like Marty always does. You know, he won't let anyone get a word in edgewise. So that, that's why Jim Giles, you know, blew up at him. It had nothing to do with Edgar J. Steele. So Marty does that just to try and save faith. I mean, the guy would have to be the most pathetic, idiotic, disgusting, <laughs> yeah. hypocritical individual no, that's true. on the planet. Did you, notice, did you notice Marty was totally supporting Glenn Miller or uh, Craig Cobb? Totally about it. Until Craig Cobb basically called him a chomo on uh, Jaeger's show, I think it was, or another oh, show. Oh, that's all right. Of a he did right. 180. Yeah, now he's just a yeah, Now he's a like Jew, he now he's a buffoon. And I remember, <laughs> I remember, you know, he used to get on the movement and he said, I like Craig Cobb, he's a character, he's a really nice guy, I like Craig yeah, Cobb. Yeah. Now he's a Jew, he's a Jew, he's, he's a rat, he's a robot. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a goofy-looking dude, but I like him. Yeah, all of a sudden he focused his guy on Cobb, because even crazy Colonel Sanders wannabe Craig Cobb hit the nail on the head when it came down to it. You know, 10 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. There's got to be something to it. Every urban legend and every stereotype is actually based in truth, if you trace it back far enough. There's a reason here in the South we say the Nogs eat a lot of watermelon and chicken, because they do. There's 20 different church, you know, churches chicken, Pioneer chicken, Kentucky Fried chicken, Popeyes chicken, Little Chick chicken. There's a million and one chicken places down here because the Negroes love it. It's not a stereotype; it's fact. Now, Jeremy, it's Halloween evening t- t- tonight. It's um, or, or you call it? It's called Sam Hain, isn't it? 
Yeah, the whole the whole festival. Technically, Halloween is tomorrow. All Saints Day is the first, so this would be All Hallows Eve or the evening before All Hallows Day. No, All Hallows Day is All Saints Day, so technically, this is just the evening before All Hallows Eve. Well, I've got a great I've got a news story here that's going to outrage people. I'll probably make them laugh a little bit. It's the all time Halloween news story. You ready for this, folks? It's um, from vdare.com. That's that excellent, um, would you call it a white nationalist website? Probably you call it a conservative website. But they, they're on the right side of the racial issue. And VDARE is named after Virginia Dare. Do you know who Virginia Dare was, Jeremy? No. no she was the first white person born to white Europeans in America. Oh, okay. So the first, so you know, first my, white you know, you know our history better than we do. It's kind of like my grandma when she came over from Holland, you know, she had to study United States history and she had to be able to actually speak English before she could enter into this country. Of course, that was in the 40s. But my, how times have changed. They let these wetbacks in who don't know a lick of English or history. Your grandmother, so that would have been Olga Senior. Olga, yeah, Olga the first. <laughs> we know your mother's name is Olga. <laughs> Definitive right. proof. This is from vdare.com. It's uh, written by uh, Brenda Walker, and it's called the article's called War on Halloween. Schools in Canada and beyond crack down on offensive costumes. I quote, The political correctness brigade has now focused its sights on Halloween, just in case some diverse kid doesn't feel included, even though no actual complaints have been found. And what student would object to replacing the daily grind of study with some candy and goofing off? As Sun TV guy David Menzies notes, one school has prohibited the munchkins from dressing up and has renamed the occasion Black and Orange Day. So they've, 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 they've turned it into a, a, a day of diversity for all the black people and the orange people. Well, I know there are black people, but orange people, uh, I mean, there were orange people back in the 1980s. You had that, um, that cult headed by the Rajneesh. And they were pretty much, you know, have sex anywhere, everywhere, and with whomever you please at any time of the day. But um, uh, there are no real orange people apart from them. So black and orange day. So people are even finding the pagan festival of Halloween racist now, Jeremy. How's that? Stands to reason, though. When you know, just like on last year's study, we traced it all the way back to the Gaelic festival of Sam Hain or Sa Yen. And the interesting thing about that is, yeah, of course, they're going to remove the vestige. It's already removed away. The focus is already removed away from All Saints Day to the to the day before, you know, the day before it. And so everyone goes and trick-or-treats. But, yeah, exactly. They're going to call it racist. They're going to orange and black day. You've got to love that. You know, well, okay, and another thing yeah, should yeah. be pointed out is this is the sniffle season over here in America. It's like really cold at night. It gets down below freezing, at least now, and it's technically only fall. But yet this is the season when they're pushing all that candy on our children to make the hospitals a little bit more profitable during this time because, you know, that sugar will kill you too much, but it definitely will lower your immune system. But that's just a side note. On another side note, you know why people catch colds in wintertime? It isn't because of the cold weather. That's a misconception i used to believe that myself but it's because of the lack of vitamin d because people don't go outside enough and get enough sunshine and there's yeah, not okay. enough sunshine even when you do go out yeah no that's true yeah 
Anyway, uh, Walker continues. The Toronto School Board has issued an advisory warning about all the bad things associated with Halloween. Yeah, no worries. We have become accustomed to the suppression of Christian holidays like Christmas and Easter, so sensitive Muslim head choppers won't feel put out for <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. The pagan backstory of the celebration would seem to make it a winner to the liberal aesthetic. Aren't Wiccan's protected class, a protected class in leftist ideology as evidenced by the US military being forced to accept Wicca practices? Well, no wonder the American military is in such dire straits by accepting Satanists into their mix, by accepting yeah. Wiccans, which is just a, you know, just a euphemistic way of calling somebody a Satan worshipper. Yeah, exactly. And on a side note, I should point out that today, more than it, today alone, I received like three comments on Sam Hain or Saul Yang Green Man of Death, which was the very first Sam Hain broadcast. And so naturally, people on YouTube and people around the net, because it's the season, are downloading those. And it was from a quote-unquote Wiccan. And his statement was, I can't wait until the day I, that you guys are thrown back into the lion's den. I let it ride. I left it there. I want the world to see. But it is interesting how these Wiccans, they're, they're mostly, they're homosexuals. They call themselves male witches. But and whatever. You know, you go back to their site, you look at their YouTube channels, everything I've seen about male witches and male Wiccans, there's always some homosexuality involved in it. It is Satanism. It's naturalism. If they worship self or they worship trees. I don't care. And that's what most people have a problem with that. Oh, the green man isn't, it's not the devil. It, okay, it's it's Jesus Christ then. You know, I'm not going to debate that. Anything that's not of God, you know, isn't of God. But that's just a side note because people are still attacking bees and, and people are still listening to last year's broadcast. And the pagans say just that. They're Wiccans. They're in our military along with women, along with faggots. No wonder we're a laughing stock across parts of Europe. Whenever I think of male witches, I think of that very funny Benny Hill skit where he's being interviewed by this woman. He's talking about all these terrible things that happened to him. And he said, I was being chased by male witches. And the, the woman interviewer goes, oh, wallocks. And he goes, it's the truth, I tell you. So uh, you, have to, you have to really understand a, a, a British sort of terminology to sort of get that joke. But anyway, for any British people who might be listening... Anyway, the, the Walker continues. Below, even former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has embraced Halloween wicker diversity. And, and that's just the caption on a, a picture of Hillary Clinton dressed up like a witch. How apropos, with a pointy hat and everything. Oh, wow. I mean, gee, she couldn't have worn a, a more appropriate costume than that, the bitch. I mean, she's a Jew slut, whore, canine, edomite, yeah. turd. I used to have a bumper sticker. It used to say, I hate President Clinton and her husband. Yeah. Because she uh, really wore the pants during his little reign. Yeah, what a biatch. Anyway, Walker continues. Meanwhile, in American colleges, the PC prohibitions are expanding. Indian and Arab outfits are not acceptable at campus parties and definitely no sombreros. As a memo to students from the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities noted, quote, In p particular, please keep in mind that certain Halloween costumes inappropri inappropriately perpetuate racial, cultural and gender stereotypes. It continues, although it may not be the intent, these costumes and choosing to wear them can depict identities in ways that are offensive or hurtful to others. So there you go. Eventually, they'll probably get rid of Halloween entirely. 
in the United yeah, States. So it turned into a completely different sort of um, festivity to, to get rid of all of the wicked, evil um, racism that's crept into it throughout the years. Well, last week, you know, just like this time last year, the big thing is going around and having people who have little dummies hung up in their yard from the tree and have them r- remove them. And people are being cited because supposedly it it projects a, a racist stereotype when the Negroes were strung up the tree, which I think is ironic. Firstly, very few Negroes got strung up the tree here in the Old South that weren't criminals. But that that being a side note, here's President Bush. He was starting that way back then, going around saying, oh, you can't do that, you know, hanging so horrible, yet he hung uh, what Saddam Hussein. How fitting is that? <laughs> but anyway, here in America, that's what they've been doing this last week is running people down for doing that, saying it perpetuates a racist stereotype because there's a dummy hanging up that may or may not be black. Now, now, Jeremy, while we, we had time time apart, I suppose you could say, um, I had time to think about um, Christian identity, dual seed line Christian identity, and single seed line Christian identity. Now, you touched on this in your last podcast, which was called, what was it called again? Something. Uh, Serpents and Worms 2 and 1, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting what you're talking about. Worms can be reptiles and um, W-Y-R-M, because that's, how, that's the old spelling of worm, because that's how Bram Stoker felt the name, I think, in the lair of the white worm. But anyway, I was thinking about single seed line Christian identity, and, the, and you, you touched on this in your last podcast, and the more I think about it, the more I go along with you. It really is an oxymoron, isn't it? Because the more you think about it, to be a Christian identist, it means correctly identifying the major players in the Bible, these being the Anglo-Saxon Celtic, the Israelite people, and the Canaanite slash Edomite people, that, who we know today as the Jews and also identifying who the progenitors of those races are. The progenitor of the Adamic, come Hebrew, come Israelite people, of course, is Yahweh himself, you know, through Adam, and, of course, the, the progenitor of the Canaanites, Edomites, through Cain, is um, Satan. But if you're single seed line, you, you, you don't identify that, because you say there's either no devil or that the, the Jews are spiritually Satan's children, not his literal biological kin. So um, it really is an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah, that's well put. And the more I study their devices and their tactics, you know, the more I see these types coming to be that they really are protecting their father, the devil, and part of that. I agree with you completely, identifying the players. They'll attack other preachers and say, oh, they're spiritualizing this, they're spiritualizing this. But the single seed liners spiritualize everything from the devil to angels to whatever it is. They say, oh, it's just a messenger. The devil's just, you know, the devil's not real. Well, dual seed line Christian identity from Compare to Swift and everybody else I've known and the Bible, go figure, all teach a literal Satan. Jesus Christ said, I behold Satan fall from heaven. Satan's considered the prince of this world. And they come along and do that. And exactly, they go by our title. They have the gunction to do that. The original, if you even want to take it on a superficial level as far as the, the recent movement, CI has always been dual seed line. It, it's, it, it's been 10, 15 years or so, maybe even a little more with Emory and a lot of other people doing that, coming along and, and spiritualizing the devil. Why on earth would you want to spiritualize the devil unless you're trying to protect the Jew and say that they're not literally the spawn of the devil? Christ sure did. John 8, the narrative straightforward. 
Yes, I mean, you, you can't be Christian identity if you, you, you don't identify them or if you misidentify them. Uh, I, I, I mean, if they're not who they... Uh, who, if they're not what dual seed line Christian identity says they are, then you're essentially saying that dual seed line Christian identity is a lie. That um, if, you, if you preach single seed line Christian identity, quote unquote, then you're saying that people that say that um, there is a devil or that um, his, his children of the Jews are, are the literal biological seed of Satan, then you're essentially saying that they're wrong, that they're essentially, essentially saying that they're telling fibs, that it's not true. Yeah. And that's a major, part, that, of, I've heard, that's a major I've part of the Bible story. It's inescapable. I don't see how you can possibly be Christian identity and be single seed line. It's just a total contradiction of terms. Yeah, they're t- exact polar opposites. And, and you, you touched upon a good point because I've even heard Pastor Dave Barley out of America's Promise Ministries in Sandpoint say, if you believe in the dual seed line theory, you have a debased mind and a debased spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. He's one of the no devils. And it's kind of interesting because that's exactly what they think of us. They think we're debased, but yet the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, it all plays it out. We've covered it, dual seed line for dummies parts, one through four, where we broke it down so simplistic that all you got to do is read it. And right there, touch, you know, naga means to lie with. (laughs) <laughs> expatio means to sexually seduce it's all there in black and white so i think there's a lot more to it as ci gains momentum like i've been touching upon and i see it on the horizon oh, it, it, you're right it is you, you can feel it there's you know we played a song some months ago on the show something in the air and it, it really is um yeah there is a movement going on and we've got to make yeah. sure that we're um involved in it and doing everything we can to sort of you know prod it and uh, push it along a bit Exactly. And that's what I've seen is that the the gap is being further between the single seed liner and us. In fact, it always was. I was banned from Stormfront Theology probably a decade ago. I've never bothered to go back to Stormfront because I don't really care. I think it's useless in a lot of ways. It's it's valuable, too. But, you know, it's useless by way of CI, that theology section. But I was banned back then for even stating, hey, you know, Satan's literal. And the same thing, same exact who, who thing happened you? recently on Fink's forum. Well, guess who the moderator is over there? The same moderator who was Stormfront Theology. Right, and so, the so irony is, is the same, exactly, and the same two or three cheerleaders are there from a decade ago. Sheepdog, he just has a different name. And, and they, they'll block you out. And I spoke to Fink at length on the phone, and he's like, yeah, I kind of wish that uh, Pastor Downey hadn't done that. But that's what happens when you make somebody a moderator of your forums. He blocked me out because of an old grudge because he's a single seed liner and he's afraid to debate me. I'd love Mark Downey to come on the show, but you know as well as I do, he won't. None of them ever really defend their premise. They'll just sit there like a Pharisee and attack everybody else. Yeah. You know, this guy, that guy, they're, they're horrible, but not me. It's like, you know, if you were really to pull the single seed line uh, theology under scrutiny and have a debate, it wouldn't stand, period. That's why none exist. I've never heard it. The closest I've heard was Wyland, and Wyland, being a single seed liner, debated some dude at a university over homosexuality, but not over the literal, you know, on what the devil was, whether the devil's your flesh or whether he's literal. There's hundreds of verses say he's literal, hundreds of prophecies to his downfall, but not a single verse that says Satan's your flesh. Rather, James says he tempts you through your flesh. That's why he's considered the tempter. And these idiots come along and say, oh, it's just my flesh. They say the same thing about Christ, and that's what infuriates me. 
because Christ, the narrative in all four Gospels, was being tempted directly after he was baptized in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, in his weakened state. And all of that, the devil saying, command that these stones be made bread. You know, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down, etc. They obtain it to the flesh. And in essence, when you really look at it, if Christ's flesh was telling him all of that, then he was pretty confused, and he was pretty imperfect. And in essence, it's an affront on Jesus Christ, really, when you look at it, because you're saying Jesus Christ was struggling with his own flesh. Christ was perfect. He overcame the devil who is death. They missed that point, I think. Does, did the no-devil doctrine originate with Sheldon Emery, or does it predate him? You know, here's the interesting thing about that. As far as C.I., is concerned, my research has pointed to Sheldon Emery basically kind of giving it a little clout and validity within CI. However, before CI, it's always been Judaism. Judaism, period, is the only single religion that says there is no devil. They say it's uh, evil inclination, sahatan. They say it's yetzer hara, which is flesh impediment or spiritual impediment. In fact, that's why Jewish boys have bar mitzvahs, to cleanse them from their yetzer hara, which in essence is saying that there is no devil. Judaism has always taught that there is no devil. They've taught that there are no gods you know, no Yahweh. In essence, it's always them. They're the lowercase gods. I can find really very little difference between Judaism and the single seed line hypotheses, because the girth of accepted Christendom, uh, from my research, from Josephus all the way down and the, and the church fathers, I've never ever read anything where they said the, the devil's just your flesh, period. And it's always been Judaism before probably Emory. And I'm not saying Emory was a Jew by any means, but the theory itself that the devil's not literal has been accepted by all of Christendom, period, since, the, since before Christ. Gee, so the Jews don't believe in a devil. I wonder why. So, yeah, um, exactly. So, so as far as you know, no other so-called Christian, uh, Christian church has promoted this doctrine outside of, Judaism and um, single seed line Christian identity. Exactly. And not only that, Barna, which is one of those groups that keeps all these tallies, has recently tallied most of these quote unquote Judeo Christian church, churches. And 80% of your Judeo Christians don't believe there's a literal devil either. So what's interesting about that statement is while the no devil sits there attacking dual seed liners saying they're universalists. They're spouting universalist ideals because 90% of Judeo-Christians don't believe in a literal devil. Compare that to 100 years ago or so before the 40s and Judeo-Christianity was invented. I'd venture to say 80% to probably all of Christians believed in a literal devil. Of course, now the single seed liner would say, well, that's because they were superstitious or they were foolish. But I think it's because they were smarter. I think it was Voltaire or a French poet of some type who said the devil's greatest ploy is to convince the world that he didn't exist. So naturally, I think that's going to come into play. While the Antichrist comes, that man of sin, the leader of all Antichrist, and the devil's children, they're going to be sitting there saying the devil's not literal, so you don't see him. All right, Jeremy. Um, so, so do you want to talk about Halloween, or do you want to move on to our Nordic race? We should move on to our Nordic race, because we pretty much gave the listener everything they need to know about Halloween. A year all, ago. I, all I'll say about Halloween, Jeremy, I don't know next to nothing. I, I know next to nothing about it because it's not really celebrated here 
in Australia, really. A few people have tried to, to get it going, mainly the um, major supermarket chains, but it's really never taken. All I say to people, eat the candy by all means, but, you know, eat, eat it in moderation, but just don't worship Satan. The end. Yeah, exactly. Same thing with Christmas, and that's something that we should point out. Now, I've taught anti-Christmas discourses because there is pagantry behind Christmas, right? Saturnella and everything else. But Wesley Swift and Comparé both taught that Christmas was for Israel. So my belief is it's somewhere in the middle. You can sit there and be a Scrooge like Mark Downey and say, oh, bah humbug Christmas, but that's exactly what Jews do. So, you know, somewhere in the middle. I think you sh- you should be wise and know exactly the pagan elements behind it, but you don't have to be a, a complete introvert to your entire family and alienate yourself like a cob type. Well, I'm I'm a real sinner because I love Christmas. I, exactly. I, you know, not the, I, I love getting Christmas presents. I love Christmas dinner. I love Easter. I love getting having hot cross buns and Easter eggs and chocolates, you know, and any excuse to have junk food, I'm into it. You know, so um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably so pagan in the eyes of some Christian identist. You know, I might as well call myself a single seed line or Jude, uh, <laughs> a, a practicer, a Judaizer, or whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah. anyway, oh, you celebrate Christmas. Total Phariseeism. You know, it's not even about celebrating Christmas. But I really, I, like we said before, you know, something that alienates and, and pisses off the Jew as much as Christmas. It's got to be good. You know, promote it. That's what I say. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's one of the things I, I like about Christmas is that it at least mentions Christ. Yes, it is based on a pagan festival, but, um, but I love Christmas presents and I do love um, Christmas dinner, so um, I'm all for it. Just don't, don't, um, just don't pray to Santa Claus or anything like that. Yeah, Satan Claus, exactly. Yeah. All right, now um, I posted a, this fantastic booklet. It's only about 22 pages long, written by Richard Kelly Hoskins, who's supposedly a Christian identist historian. He's a very, very good writer, very good historian, called Our Nordic Race. And you can find that in the Christian Identity Reading Room on the ChristianIdentityForum.net. And uh, it's such an... I, I, I haven't read all of it. I'll skim through, through some of it. I've read, read some sections, but it really is a great little booklet. And I, I highly recommend it to people especially people perhaps on the outside of Christian identity looking in who may not know all that much about how white civilization has been destroyed through race mixing over the years. I'm sure most people would know, know you know, something about that to, to some small degree, um, perhaps a larger degree if you've been in the white nationalist community for some time. But the, the good thing about this booklet is it, it, it sort of summarises all of the major stuff-ups civilization-wise, that our people have made throughout the years, you know, through the thousands of years, as a result of race mixing. And I highly recommend that you um, download that booklet and have a read of it, folks. It's a great read. So that's Our Nordic Race um, by Richard Kelly Hoskins, and you'll find it on, in the Christian Identity Reading Room. Anyway, this is from a, a section of the, the booklet called Race Mixing in Ancient Egypt, and this is really eye-opening. Quote, this is what the Saturday Evening Post of April 27, 1907 had to say on the subject. The subject was race mixing in Egypt, you know, and you probably would have to go back to 1907, folks, to get a major newspaper to discuss something like this. Anyway, the newspaper says, curiously enough, we find that these early Egyptians, deploring the effect upon their race caused by an admixture of Negro blood, it seems uncanny in this 20th century of grace to hear this faraway protest against miscegenation and to reflect how little humankind has changed. 
This is from what the Egyptians wrote. I quote, Thus complained the Egyptians, The large number of black women found in the harems of the rich and even in the huts of the common people quickly impaired the purity of the race. Even among the upper classes of the nation and the type began to resemble that of the Negro tribe of equatorial Africa. The language fared no better in the face of this invasion and the written character, language in other words, written word, soon became as corrupt as the language. The taste for art decayed, technical ability began to, to, to deteriorate, the moral and intellectual standards declined and the mass of the people showed signs of relapsing into barbarism. King Tahaka, whose Negro blood is portrayed in his sculptured face, was a mixed degenerate and was driven from the throne by the Assyrian. It is from the reign of King Tahaka that we date the fall of Egypt. And Jeremy, if we're going to put a modern slant on that, we might write, it was from the reign of King Barack Obama that we date the fall of America. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's true. You know, and I like, I like that's, you know, you raise a valid point because these single seed liners do just that. When it comes to these prophecies about Lucifer, they oh, well, that's just King of Babylon. Or, uh, you know, the cedars of Lebanon, that's just King of Assyria. They just downplay it because they can't see that any ruler of man diametrically opposed to Yahweh God who wants to be a king or a president is a representation of Satan, including the very first one, Saul. So people miss that. You know, they always, oh, well, it's not the devil. Green man's not the devil. <laughs> yeah, right. But isn't it interesting how white civilization, every aspect, the things that we cherish so much of white civilization, you know, science, science the, the art, the culture, the language, all of those started to topple, fall like dominoes, once we started to miscegenate our people in Egypt. The, you know, many of them were you know, the Adamic people back in those days, in ancient times. Um, as soon as they started to, to miscegenate, race mix, um, the, the language went out the window, the, 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 the quality of art went down, their technical ability began to deteriorate, and um, they went back to being bar, uh, you know, uh, barbarians. Sounds All familiar, doesn't mixing. it? It certainly does. It really, has a, really resonates in modern times, doesn't it? Absolutely, and and that's so true because the downfall of all these, you know, even the Roman occupation, all these occupations and all these great kingdoms and dynasties, miscegenation is the quickest, surefirest way to wipe them out. And as you know, Jude points that out too. Jude, I think, uh, verse 14 says that they, the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah, were not only being queers, but they were whoring after strange flesh. It's a specific point because, of course, that word strange is foreign. And, and Jude is telling us, that's the brother of Christ, that the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah were race traders. Now, in 2013, we can, or a lot of them were, and we can sit here in 2013 and say, well, that's nothing. And that's what most of us are doing because we're so desensitized over the last 20 years of this propaganda. But it was a big enough thing, faggots and race traders, to, to have Yahweh God rain fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about. And that's why I believe Jesus Christ in his gospel says, you know, it'll be more tolerable for some cities than, like Sodom and Gomorrah than some of these cities. Because we're far beyond even that. A word to the wise should be sufficient, but, that, you know, Sodom is probably a, a perfect example of what happens when you miscegenate. When you allow these locust armies into your, into your camp, 
suddenly everybody becomes infatuated with it. And that's exactly what's happened in the last 10 years. I'm disgusted by most of these things that are television shows with white girls humping on Negroes who wants to dance with a idiot or some faggot. It, it really makes me sick to see how even art from the 80s, like you mentioned, music, motion pictures, and everything has denigrated to a disgusting level. But your average teenagers now see nothing wrong with gays getting married. They see nothing wrong with being fact. Most of them want to be fags before they get married or whatever. So every, every time, every time, the same exact pattern. And, and, and another thing I wanted to add to that is, if you remember, Second Peter points out that Sodom and Gomorrah were meant to be an example for every other generation and every other city that would live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah was an example of what God thought about sodomites and race traders and destroyed, you know, it's supposed to be. There's no question now in 2013 whether God or Jesus loves fags. It's an eternal example. He's going to wipe them out. And the more we tolerate homosexuality, the more we tolerate miscegenation, and it becomes the norm, the closer we're getting to that second advent. I mean, I suppose that's being an optimist. Now, what's interesting is that throughout history, Yahweh's always put certain individuals from, uh, from, from Israelite nations, you know, uh, white Israelites, to, to sort of... They've appeared at critical junctures in our history to stop, to, to stop our countries from being flooded over completely with non-white, non-white, the non-white hordes and from just... Their be- the result being that there, there would, if these non-whites had their way, there would have been no remnant. So these people have, have sort of appeared at key, key junctures in our history to, to um, hold back the non-white, horde, non-white hordes and to make sure that there always was an Israelite remnant, as there is today. And one of these characters, one of these people, was a fellow called Herman. I don't know, I think that's his surname. And he lived from 16 BC to 21 AD. And this is from... Um, uh, Our Nordic Race by Richard Kelly Hoskins. During the days of the Roman Empire, it was the standard policy of Rome to recruit soldiers in one part of the empire and to send them to garrison outposts in other parts of the empire. Rome was planning the conquest of Germany, which probably means that Asiatic or African soldiers would be sent to garrison these lands once they were conquered. This news was not well received by Nordic soldiers in the Roman service. One of them, an officer named Herman, determined to do everything he could to prevent it. Using the cloak of official business to travel extensively beyond the Rhine, he aroused the scattered German peoples who formed a confederation to fight the coming invasion. At last, preparations for the invasion were complete and the crack Roman divisions wound their way across the Rhine into the forests of Germany. It was in the Teutoburg forest that Herman and his warriors waited. They knew that the powerful Roman army which wound its way through the forest, was less able to defend itself while on the march than at any other time. And two, in the thickets of the woods, the superior fighting ability of the individual Nordic warrior could be used to the best advantage. When the Romans reached the desired position, Herman had the trumpet sounded, a call which was immediately drowned by the clash of battle axes and swords on shields. The most important battle in the history of our race was on. Three days later, it was over. The Roman divisions were completely annihilated. Caesar wept when he heard the news. The Nordic world rejoiced. If the Roman conquest had been successful and Asiatic and African troops had been able to garrison the northern lands, it would only have been a matter of time until our enslaved race 
would have followed the Roman conquerors into the whirlpool of miscegenation. We owe our existence today to Herman and his brave men who fought in the depths of the Teutoburg Forest 19 centuries ago. Now there's clearly a story of, about a brave Israelite warrior, Jeremy and listeners, who um, was put there by Yahweh at such a crucial, crucial point in our history. What a, what a great fellow he was. Amen. And contrast that to uh, our modern foot soldiers today who are holding back the hordes, right? Like uh, Craig Cobb. My goodness. <laughs> what a difference. And it makes such a – that's what I'm saying. It's a bleak future, at least here in America. I see us becoming overrun this year, 2013. The white uh, birth rate became the minority. It's it's only going to be a matter of time before we see history repeating itself time and time again. And it's so ironic to me because exactly like these creators, Scripture's told us all that. I've even pointed out Scripture told us the world was round, you know, 500 years before it even became a theory in the mind of the so-called intellectual. You know, before they put it down, Job was saying the, the, the circle of the earth. <laughs> Not hard to figure out, but that's exactly what happens. I think a lot of these guys, they become so edu- – they're like educated idiots. They become – they think they're so intellectual, intellectual that they get so lifted up. They're so retarded and blinded from common sense. It's like scripture, you know, oh, Jesus is a Jew. Mary's a Jew, of course. They, just, they spout it off like it's fact, and it can't be substantiated. But they believe wholeheartedly in Benny Klassen. Yes, well, what's interesting about this is that um, a couple, was it last year or early this year, we spoke on um, Queen Isabella of Spain yeah. and all that she did to, to hold back the, the Muslim hordes. And I found out something interesting recently about her that I wasn't aware of at the time, that she was a redhead. And so was King Ferdinand. So they would have had Celtic blood in them. So um, yeah. you know, she probably was a very fetching woman, very brave and very resourceful. And gee, didn't Yahweh, you know, really, really um, sort of make her the fulcrum of such an important point in history? Um, something that um, really enabled our white people and enabled the white Israelite race to continue and to flourish as a result of the things that she did and Ferdinand did to 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 stem the third world hordes. Yeah. And if I remember from that broadcast, it was when she started holding back the Muslim hordes that they became blessed again, just like Scripture promises. And what's that say for Americans who now have a quote-unquote Muslim president? I mean, at least you could say all the other presidents, whether they were Freemasons or Illuminati, they profess to be some type of Christian. This Negro beast is a blatant antichrist by biblical definition in 1 John. He denies Jesus Christ, he denies everything, and he's a Muslim. No one's holding them back now. In fact, they're recognized here in America. Christianity's becoming less and less. And I've said it before, you can't be a Christian and support, anti- support the Antichrist, period. So that's an oxymoron. I don't care what flavor of Christian you are. If you're voting for Barack Obama, race aside, you're a traitor to God. Because that's an antichrist and a Christ denier, period. So it's ironic, because here in America, the Judeo-Christian churches, for the most part, the liberal ones, were pushing all these Christians to vote for a Muslim, antichrist. All right, now, this is the final little bit I'll read from the book, if people want to read more of it. It's the um, Our Nordic Race by Richard Kelly Hoskins from the Christian Identity Reading Room. Really well worth checking out this one, folks. It's a really great read, this one. Highly recommended. And this is from a section called Aztec and Inca. Among all the peoples of the world, the early histories of both the Aztec and Inca in Central and South America are the strangest. 
Archaeologists have found in their excavations, both in Mexico and South America, that these cultures do not follow the standard procedure of humble beginnings with more and more progressive achievements. Instead, both the Inca and Aztec civilizations seem to birth, burst forth in full bloom at a relatively advanced level. This has never before happened to an unaided civilization, and so it is naturally supposed that they received help from elsewhere. To add to the natural supposition of outside help, there are stories in both the Aztec and Inca early histories of fair-haired or golden-haired gods who came from across the sea. In fact, Cortes was looked upon as one of these gods when he came in contact with the Aztec. The absence of these, the absence of these white-skinned rulers among the Incas at the time of the Spanish conquest is reportedly due to a great civil war in which these white-skinned rulers were defeated and either killed or forced to set sail to distant Pacific islands on balsa rafts and seagoing war canoes. Thor, Thor Heyerdahl, in his book Contiki, writes, The Inca Indians had their great empire in this mountain country when the first Spaniards came to Peru. They told the Spaniards that the colossal monuments that stood deserted about the landscape were erected by a race of white gods which had lived there before the Incas themselves became rulers. These Spanish architects were described as wise, peaceful... Sorry, these vanished architects, I should say. These vanished architects were described as wise, peaceful instructors who had originally come from the north long ago in the morning of time and had taught the Incas' primitive forefathers architecture and agriculture as well as manners and customs. They were unlike other Indians in having white skins and long beards. They also were taller than the Incas. Finally, they left Peru as suddenly as they had come. The Incas themselves took over power in the country and the white teachers vanished forever from the coast of South America and fled westward across the Pacific. So I wonder who they could have been, Jeremy and listeners. You know what that reminds me of, too? It seems throughout history, everywhere we go, we, we usually show these people. Like at Africa, we go over there, and a lot of these Negroes will drop to their knees and bow to us like gods because we know how to tap a well, and they've been sitting over there for thousands of years on their nuts in the dust doing nothing, no work, no nothing. But the side point it reminds me of uh, Return of the Jedi where uh, they, uh, the Ewoks, <laughs> where they actually see uh, C-3PO, and they lift them up, and they're all, golden gods. You know, there's there's something to that, too, because, you know, a lot of those 80s spoof B-films were, were called that, like Golden Hair and the Temple of Doom and stuff like that, because the white people really kind of were considered gods. And I believe the reason for that, when it comes to the mud ra or a lot of the mud races, is because we were taught, you know, according to our own scripture, by angels on pretty much everything when it came to music or, or agriculture or everything. So we've spread that even to them, and they've benefited from a lesser degree, you know. So that's what I'm thinking of. It's kind of interesting because the Ewoks did that, and it's almost a slight reference. I'm not saying Lucas isn't a Jew. I'm just saying it's kind of like a slight reference to that, where, where it seems like even in the Naked Run, if you've ever seen that, when the white guy gets away from the Negro, they kind of turn around and say, okay, he's God-man. Yes, whenever I think of Negroes, what Negroes, how Negroes really behave, I, I think of the movie Naked Prey with Cornell Wilde. Remember that? Yeah. He was a part oh, of yeah. Safari and the, the guy insulted yeah. the, the, the African chief, and so they tortured and killed um, three of his um, comrades, and they, they, they let him run off and gave him a five-minute head start. 
And he, he, and he kills them all. Out. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Well, one of them does. Yeah, I think they let three out, and the main guy actually snuffs all their warriors out because he gets all stealthy and God's on his hand. And I think at the end would, he goes to the British They would yeah. never make a movie like that again. It was made, I think, 1966, and was quite bloody for its day. It was quite gruesome. Because the scenes of torture where the Africa, where the niggers, they um, put, put one guy, they, they sort of put him in this pot and they roast him on a spit. Another, another guy, they, um, they get a, a snake to bite him in the face. Another guy, they, they put him in feathers that they tar and feather him and then they spear him to death. And the delight with which the niggers do this, they're just squealing yeah. in delight as if they're watching Sturdy. a rock concert or something. They just love it. I mean, what an accurate it's just like yeah. niggers. It's just like they do here. It's very little different in parts of Atlanta because just like in Africa where you hear the jungle beat, boom, 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 well, the Negroes run around with their cars thumping like that. And when they do do that and a white person or couple has the misfortune of being gang because Negroes always work in packs, one-on-one, they're worthless. You can snap their ankle. But they always work in packs. They do the same exact thing. And I remember that scene from The Naked Prey where, where the, all of them are just going off, the women too. And they're having a blast, and they're spearing a white boy, killing them. And, and just the look of glee. You can see the same exact look of glee on YouTube every time some student films a white kid getting beaten or molested at a public school by the Nogs. Yeah, I highly recommend that movie, Naked Prey, folks. You can download it off the internet, the proper widescreen version of it. It really is an eye-opening movie. Great movie. Yeah, it'll show you the savagery, savagery of the Negro, for sure. And, and if the there was a remake of that, they would, they would totally swap it, of course. It would be a white man chasing the Negro and how the Negro is so oppressed. If anybody doesn't get sick in the first four minutes of Roots, there's something spiritually wrong with them. Because that's American cinema. That's exactly what the Nogs do, and that's how they tell their side of the story. These, you know, the black people sitting by the river, and it's all so peaceful. And then along come these evil British and Dutch colonists with their big ropes. And it's it's total fiction, of course, but it's ironic because that that film was actually very brutal, and I think honest in a lot of ways. Because there's still there's still populations like that today. Hell, you can watch Survivor and see these aborigines who live in mud huts who likely eat their children. Demons, you know, devils. Yeah, it's, um, you, you, you spoke of uh, Roots there. That was, when that came out, I thought, oh, gee, the poor, poor niggers, you know, what the, the whites did to them. It was terrible. That was a, a work of fiction. Years later, it was discovered that Alex Harley made the entire thing up. It was all just... Yeah. Every aspect of it, yet at the time it was, oh, it was, it was almost like it was a historical work, you know, a, a documentary even. Yeah. People were just going, oh, just what like a wonderful... Just like North and the South. Yeah, did you and, notice and that? And Alex Haley, he was the guy who did that infamous Playboy interview with, um, <coughs> what's his name? The, oh, uh, George, George Rockwell, George Lincoln Rockwell. And we, we must speak about that Playboy interview sometime because it's got some interesting assertions in there that... that the, that Haley makes about some of the things that um, that, War, that uh, Rockwell said, like for example, that um, you know some call it some call it you call it you, some call it communism, I call it or some call it Marxism, I call it Judaism, and he, he sort of refutes that Alex Haley throughout the the interview. So we must look at that one day. That'd be an interesting thing to to discuss. But um, yes, it was entirely made up by the nigger Alex Haley. So it, roots is BS. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Here in America, one of the other ones that almost every public library has is the North and the South with Kirstie Alley and Patrick Swayze, which was a miniseries. I think they had like three parts. And, of course, it, it, you know, that always puts everything on, on imperialism and white racism and how the Negroes were all oppressed. So that, like Schindler's List and, and Roots, are the, still taught in public schools now. Just like Anne Frank's diary, it's required reading here in America, and it's almost required reading like through all of junior high and into high school. It seems like these kids have to have to do the diary of Anne Frank or have a Holocaust memorial at public schools. I could be wrong, but it seems like at least annually they have to cover this work of fiction that was written with a ballpoint pen ten years before the ballpoint pen was invented. Well, back in back in 1975, in my last year of high school, before they kicked me out. I, um, we had this real leftist. I went to this school that was heavily Labor Party. That's the, the, the left-leaning political party here in Australia. And um, the, our social studies or social science teacher, whatever the class was called, I forget now, was a real leftist, short, little white woman. She was short cropped there. I think she was a lesbo, actually. And every, every class she took was all about how terrible the situation in South Africa was. And, you know, we, we had to go back into history to the, the Bantus and the Hottentots and hear about how the terrible colonialists, you know, the Boers and the other side, white people, yeah, they, sure. you know, <laughs> they, they did, committed all these terrible atrocities against the, the niggers over there. And they, she even had a special guest who was a friend of hers who ca- came to address us one day to tell us about how she used to live in South Africa and how she, you know, she used to have black servants and how terrible it was and they, they regret everything they did. And it was just such... Communist, Marxist, agitrop, agitprop, BS. You know, looking back at back at, at the time, I didn't you know think much of it. I, I was just bored by the whole thing. You know, I had no interest in. I didn't think much in terms of race then because everyone in my class pretty much was white. You know, the school was yeah. you know ninety nine point nine percent white. So I, 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 it didn't occur to me, you know, what what she was really doing. And I had no interest in politics. I certainly had no interest in the bloody Bantus and Hottentots. Couldn't care less about them. So I just pretty much slept through the whole thing, mentally speaking. But nowadays, looking back on it, I can see just what the agenda was. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is I remember in the 80s they were pushing that apartheid, apartheid. You know, nogs like Stevie Wonder were singing about it. It was such a thing, you know, when it came down to it. But you don't hear too much about that now. And I think the reason for that is because the apartheid suddenly changed about the mid-90s, and now the white people are being slaughtered in their farms, being run out, being raped, being vilified by the nogs, and that all led up to that. You know, that, oh, the poor Negroes, South Africa, victims of racism. Yet they turn a blind eye when, when, and this happens annually. You've heard it before on Goethe's broadcast. I've heard it. You know, a lot of the atrocities in South Africa, here in America, you never hear about them. You only read about them on the Internet or you hear them in, in Godcast, but you sure don't see it on the news. They never report what's going on in South Africa, but they'll report what Britney Spears did, or they'll talk about American Idol on our news. But So that just shows you how biased they are, I think. I think the whole table's turned, and now we're being raped. That's just a foreshadowing of what's going to happen here and eventually, by extension, Australia, which is good oh, that you're reaching out to them. Yeah. Yes, we need to build up our... Um you know, our faith in this country and in other white countries ASAP. We should have done this ages ago, but better late than never, as they say in the classics. Now, Jeremy, I'll have to hit the road soon. I was going to speak about one of the great 
in fact, probably the greatest unsung heroine of the Bible, and that would be Michael. Her name's actually spelt M-I-C-H-A-L. And do you remember who Michael was? Michael. M-I-C-H-A-L. From, from what, the scripture? Yep, from, from the Old Testament. She was David's first wife. Oh, my, my, okay, yeah, Michael. Yeah, I didn't know who you were yeah, talking it's, about. It's actually pronounced Michael. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, um, and I was going to speak on her today because uh, her relationship with David was a very interesting one. didn't end happily, really, for either of them. But um, there was one particular, like Herman and like... Um, Queen Isabella, there was one instance where she really came through for her people and made sure that the, the Davidic dynasty lasted, that David stayed alive. And I really wanted to discuss that, but um, we'd have to get into that in some depth. I'm not going to have time. I'll have to hit, hit the road shortly. But uh, next time we get together, we might discuss that. Nice. Nice. Well, all in all, I think it was a good show. I think it was great. And, and you know, uh, who knows? You know, these things always get listened to. I think it's yeah, well, I certainly quite... so. I, I, I wouldn't want want them to <laughs> not be listened to. That'd be unfortunate. And it, it was interesting you were saying that your um, your individual sermons are you know you're getting more listens, more people listening to that than you've ever got before. So it just goes to show, Jeremy, all those people that complained about the old Obi agenda bender. You know, I'd love to listen to your show, Jeremy, if you if you don't have Obi on anymore. That was sort of the general <laughs> tenor of the emails and messages you got from these people. Well, they've they've all come back. <laughs> <laughs> They've all come back, Jeremy. They're, they're so glad to be rid of me that, uh, well, 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 for, for for three weeks out of a month anyway, so that they're, they're all listening to your show again. So there you go. Well, it's interesting how that works, you know, how everything does work. I mean, because there is a truth to the fact that, you know, after a de- over a decade's worth of work, you know, I'm finally coming into where people are stepping to the plate and supporting, and that's that's actually really good because we can go a lot further in that. And listenership has been way up. And so one of the things that I think is really funny, and I briefly touched on this at the beginning, is how everyone, what, what happened to Obi and Visser? What happened to Obi and Visser? Just go to my site. There's a sermon there, like I said, twice a week. They're, they're still there. And that's what I think kind of happened. You know, the listenership may have been up because everybody was waiting for clues because God knows a lot of people were dissecting every word I said, trying to find out what happened. When nothing happened, <laughs> it was all, you know, and, and my, my opinion of it all is if you're too lazy to go to the same link that you're trolling to find out that, you know, CPM's doing the same exact thing it's done for over 10 years, and you'd rather have a rabbi chomo on your show and listen to him and give him credence, you know, you get what you deserve. You deserve that pie on your face. Well, it kind of reminds me when Bill DeClue was was bragging, was skiting, that he kicked me out of Christian identity. Well, how could he do that? The only one that can kick you out of Christian identity is Yahweh himself. And uh, I didn't go anywhere. I was still working on my forum, writing stuff, work, working on various things for Yahweh. I mean, no one's going to kick me out of Christian <laughs> identity or out of life except Yahweh himself. So this whole thing, I kicked him out, you know. I stopped Pastor Visser from being filled with the Holy Spirit. To have such a myopic, just, just short-sighted, just totally unspiritual view of the situation just goes to, you know, just really says more about the clue and people like him than it does me. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, you know, to hear people go, you know, thing about it is, essentially, nobody, you know, Ovi and Visser ain't fooling nobody. To an audience of one sock puppet, there's got to be some big irony in that. It's like, okay, first and foremost, no one's out to fool anybody. But the irony behind it is, is just that. Yeah, I've been run out of CI so many times. In fact, if I remember correctly, Bill DeClue single-handedly put an end to the Ovi and Visser show a year ago or something like that. <laughs> I missed that one, but over on White Reference, that's what he was talking about. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, dude. You know, you're not going to stop people from preaching. And, and people who set themselves up as, as self-appointed cops and, you know, policemen, they're the ones you need to be worried about. They're the agent provocateurs. Look, Jeremy, even if we did have a falling out, even if we started calling each other names and, you know, God forbid, but that doesn't mean that we've less Christian identity, although it means we probably wouldn't wouldn't be very Christian about things, but um you you know, you still go off and serve Yahweh in your own way. I mean you you'd still go try to reach your people in some way, shape or form. I, I mean even if the internet went down tomorrow, I'd still come up with some way of, you know, reaching out to my people. I'd just have to do it differently than than online. I mean, you know, you'd have to make it entirely person to person and that wouldn't be a bad thing, I don't think. And that's probably going to be really the the most important thing when the internet does collapse on us, but when they, you know, flick the switch and turn the shut the whole thing down, because we will have to start communicating with our people. And the differences, which seemed once seemed so enormous online, yeah. will, will suddenly become so significant, so insignificant in person. And you know, then when we start reaching out to people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, praying in the spirit that Yahweh leads us to those people, we should be doing this now anyway that, um, you know, hungering and thirsting after his word, you know, then we'll, we'll start seeing, you know, a, a bigger movement of Christian I identity in the world. And, um, you know, uh, it'll get to the point where Yahweh will send his angels to us or maybe just a uh, through the spirit and tell us, you know, time to unite, time to put your differences aside and, you know, go into battle and we'll know it of a truth. It'll be so obvious and clear to us, the, the clarion call, that um, there'll be no mistaking it. So, um, you know, exciting times ahead, and we've got to make the most of the technology while it's still available to us. Amen. I agree. And I'm sure you'll discover this as your ministry goes. There's times where you, you get frustrated with it, because unless you're a TV evangelist, you've got to deal with, like, kids. You've got to deal with people like Russ Walker and, and, and troublemakers, for the most part. And there's a lot of good brothers, brethren that step to the plate. But there are times where you'll get frustrated, and you're like, why am I doing this? You know, Why am I trying to reach an ungrateful lot? It's exactly the story of Christ, because Christ came unto his own, and they rebuked him and reviled him. So it's kind of a catch-22. You know, you love him, you teach them the truth, but then you're hated of them for making them accountable. So what I'm saying with it all is, is it's kind of interesting because even in times like last June, where I get frustrated and I just say, hey, you know, I need to take a break or a sabbatical or a walk from my ministry for a while, I don't change one iota from my belief. The belief and the faith in the Word of God is always going to be there, whether I'm preaching on the Internet or not. So... You know, it's just so funny that these guys spend so much time thinking they're going to dampen someone's spirit by, by making up all of these things, saying that you're this or that. And to get to the nitty-gritty of it, you know, I and you and whoever else can do whatever the hell we want to with our own ministry. And there's no, no, there's no Christian cop or pope 
who's going to self-appoint themselves and tell you you're wrong or you're doing this. So as much as they waste their time trying to slander people, it works against them time and time again. And that's exactly what I think happened is because when, when we stopped doing shows, quote unquote, Marty and people like him went running their trap and more people tuned in to listen. And probably more people said, hey, this is a pretty good show and started listening. I know for a fact certain people have found us from iTunes and YouTube and everything else. So how the Holy Spirit works is very mysterious, but it always does work. And one thing I've noticed also about ministries is as long as you tell the truth, it doesn't matter where you are or what stage you're in, it will always grow. And CPM has always done that. There were times in the beginning where I preached to nobody, but now I preach to 100,000 a month when it goes all out. And that's a lot of listeners. And when you do a sermon, that's exactly what it's like giving birth. Because when you give birth to a sermon like that, it's like wine. And it will be listened to continually on a global scale until the Lord returns. That, to me, is a form of power it's amazing because people still, like I said, are listening to sermons I did 10 years ago that are immature, but they're still learning it because the truths are just as valid. It's amazing. Well, no, nobody's ever run anybody out of Christian identity, ever, except one special instance, and that was me. I ran Johnny Britton out of Christian identity, Jeremy, because when was the last time you heard from Johnny Britton? When was the last time... He wrote anything. When was the last time anyone, any, anyone seen him? No one has. For the past couple of years, Johnny's gone. You know why Johnny's gone, Jeremy? Marty killed him. He murdered him. They had a falling out. You know where <laughs> Marty buried him? He buried him underneath the asparagus patch. And, every, and Johnny's blood to this very day cries out from underneath that asparagus patch. It's like that when Marty goes to pour... His urine on the, the the asparagus patch. It's like that scene in the movie Fly, the first movie, The Fly. You know where the fly's caught in the, the the fly with the human head is caught in the in the spider's web, and you hear him crying out, "Help me, help me, yes, please sir. help me!" <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you hear every time. Every time Marty pours his tinkle on the asparagus patch, you hear this faint, "Please, Marty, don't pour the tinkle on me. Help me, please." <laughs> That's what happened oh. to Johnny Britton. You know, All because I ran him out of Christian identity. <laughs> last time you said that, on one of these mailing lists I got added to, Russ Walker went off talking about how we were bearing false witness. I'm like, poor guy doesn't recognize sarcasm. But you raise a valid point. To this day, he still drops names. And you know, Johnny Britton, he was another one of those guys that harmed children. I invite people to listen to the Brian Wright interview. You can download it from the CPM webpage. And there's a lot of truth to the fact that these guys bond together. John Britton's been missing in action for, what, five years, laying low trying to rip Zog off somehow on a lawsuit. But doesn't stop Marty. He'll, Johnny Britton from me. Who's John Britton? <laughs> What's he ever produced? Nothing other than trying to name drop and say Newman Britton's his dad, which even that's questionable. So I think it's funny how these guys take it literally. You know, some of these, maybe I'll add you on somehow, these chain mails, because they're entertaining. A lot of people attack, you know, Bill Fink, Eli James, myself. Oh, oh please, those... please do that. That would be hilarious. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll certainly, whatever chain mail you get, I'd love to see something like that. Yeah, Russ Walker would have to be the most humorless individual I've ever encountered. Not a bit of rejoicing, not a bit of joy, just complaining about the, the state of the white world. He never gives... Never yeah. rejoices in Yahweh, never talks about you know the promises of Yahweh or anything like that. It's all just griping and complaining and about stuff. I can't oh, it's stand awesome the guy. Too, 
he said somebody on the chain mail was another walker. I assume it's a, a relative of him, and he went off on him. He was like, "Oh, world according to Russ Walker," and it was it was brutal. And I I just sit back. Wickstrom sits back. Think we we read it all, you know, as it comes through. But it's it's highly entertaining because there's a lot of these list servers or whatever, but there's a lot of these, these, this underlying crap that goes on in CI. And even Bill Fink got in, went off on Russ Walker uh, last week on one of them because Russ was accusing him of stalking Dewey Tucker and all this other thing. I don't know, you know, the inside specifics on whatever. I'm sure it's BS because he's affiliated with Samuelson, but it, it's, I'll definitely get you added on for sure. Yeah, well, Russ, Russifer, as Marty likes to call him, sure does get around. He seems to have his finger in every CI pie, and you wonder about the guy if he's uh, either just an idiot or a zogbot, another sort of Craig Cobb type individual, somebody who's just latched on the Christian identity just to sort of, you know, as an outlet for his hatred of various things. Um, a lot of well, people. he's definitely, yeah, he's definitely appropriately named troublemaker because yeah. seemingly everywhere he goes, oh, God can't speak the world into existence without matter being formed. Oh my goodness! You know what I mean. Scripture straightforwardly says it was it was spoken into existence. No debate there. But it's always limiting God. It's limiting the Word, limiting Paul, and propping up a convicted sodomite. It's amazing yes, and he to thinks me. Martin Lindstedt is a great guy. Yeah, he so there something. you go. Paul and his argument, his argument, his argument, his yeah. argument, Jeremy, is that um, you know Marty doesn't do the things he says he's going to do, so that's all right. But the Bible yeah, that makes says, it all right. Christ says it's yeah. a thing. That um, just to think about doing them exactly. is bad enough. And if Marty was going around saying, you know, oh, I'm going to molest little boys, I'm going to you know, bugger little girls, old Russ Walker wouldn't want anything to do with him then. But you know, dismembering them, mutilating them, torturing them—that's fine. It's just, <laughs> that's just, the it's, just <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just an underage sex we won't permit. But uh, you know, torturing them—that's fine. That's that's okay. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of, of, of characters, but you know, I, we, and there's a lot of sarcasm on our show. But when you do reach those people, and I've, I've reached quite a few of them, or we have over the years, it makes it all worthwhile. And that's the beauty of it all. You know, I would preach to one person if, if they support my ministry. And ironically, the ones who bark the loudest are usually the ones who've never done Anything, and I'm not even talking financial. Make a forum post, make a graphic, you know, put a link on Facebook. They don't do anything, and so that's really, you know, there's a lot of truth to the statement. Those who can do, and those who can't criticize. Indeed, I'm going to have to get some more people to come onto my forum and start posting. Posting's uh, gone way down. Not that I ever had a lot of people posting there in the first place, but I have to do something about that because to keep my forum. Um, you know, on the right side of uh, the Google search engine results for Christian identity, but uh, maybe I'll do a Craig Cobb and start up a white nationalist community community here, Jeremy, and I'll I'll advertise it on Stormfront. Eh? What do you reckon? Maybe yeah. that'll get me notoriety and maybe some more postings as a result. So I think it's amazing because you do a search on Christian identity forum, you're number one. And that's awesome. That's a testimony to, you know, the service you do do. And I know, you know, I found a lot of books, good reading, and informative threads over there. So it'll pick up. Everything picks up. It's been a slow point for, for CPM, you know, by way of forum. It, uh, on the outward, anybody looking would be like, oh, well, you know, Pastor Bishop's got no whatever. 
But no, that's not really what it is. Everything's on the backside of it. And everything behind the scenes and all the download counts from TalkShoe, iTunes, Archive.org, wherever it goes, YouTube, they're way up. And that's, that's what really matters is that we get heard because the truth that we bring forth you know, it's eternal. Slander never stands. Gossip never stands. And that's why I don't really want to debate with these single seed liners. I mean, I will if they want to come on. But I'm not going to argue with an idiot who wants to dismiss Paul and upbraid a, a, a child molester. Bottom line. I mean, if you, if you can't see something wrong with that, or if, if red flags don't go up and your antenna go up, there's something spiritually wrong with you. I mean, common well, the, sense should tell you that Paul's more accepted than some convicted chummo. The story of Jeremiah always keeps me going, Jeremy, because you know he didn't achieve what he hoped to set out to achieve, but he obeyed Yahweh's commands. He did what he was told, and though the results, getting Judah to repent of its sins, you know, weren't forthcoming, he he pleased Yahweh by obeying him. So results are always Yahweh's problem; obedience is ours. So I'm going to keep the Christian Identity Forum going for as long as I'm permitted to keep it online. So regardless of however how few or how many people post there, it's going to stay there. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be discouraged. And did you notice, did you notice that for a long time there, you became, I I suppose you always have been for the most part, but you became the focus of Samuelson's guile. He didn't mess with me too much. He, He wouldn't take anything I'd post on the forum, but every little thing you would post on your forum, he would take over there and bastardize and bear false witness on it. And I, I kind of noticed that. I was like, wow, he really has a has a proverbial hard-on for Obadiah, much more so oh, than me. Oh, because... <laughs> gee, gee, Jeremy, couldn't you put it in better terms? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, but I hear people thought. just... The guy on the Hate Project even said that. He's like, you sound like an ex-scorned uh, uh, girlfriend. And there's a lot of truth to that, because when you walk around talking about men all day, you should be questioned. I don't care if it's Sean Cassidy in the 70s or well, Obadiah well, well, Jeremy, I'm sorry to interrupt, brother, but I have to, I have to say right here and now that Marty and I never dated, okay? <laughs> oh, well, you know, next week they'll, they'll spew it around to where you have, and, and they'll have quote-unquote definitive proof that, uh, what, you sweep floors for a temp agency and all that. Hey, did you notice that as well? That was one of the interesting things about the uh, audio clips that I reissued in the tactics ones, was all this stuff, where did they come from? I know where it came from, but they would take something you would flippantly say in a show, add to it, and all of a sudden you're like a janitor for a temp service, sweeping floors. Well, and well, a, well and the a... thing that gets me about these people, <laughs> Jeremy, is that even if I was, so what? People are saying how we have to accept, we have to be inclusive, we have to be accepting of people regardless of race, religion, creed, colour, blah, 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 blah. But but now what, they're going to be prejudiced against people who work as cleaners, like people who work as cleaners aren't as good as people who work as doctors, that they're somehow lesser people, that they're not worth considering. I mean, these people are more prejudiced than you and I. I mean, you know, I'll talk to anyone, regardless of, you know, anyone white, regardless of what they do for a living, that doesn't matter to me, but this... Patrick Wang, I mean, Dolby! He's going to object to someone because they work as a janitor. I mean, how prejudiced. How, how discriminatory. How hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah, and perhaps on a future show, I'll do some quotes from uh, Chame Weitzman's uh, autobiography. Or Actually, it was written a little, it was written post mortem, but he was the first. Uh, 
president of Israel after the 40s when it became a state, after they stole it from the Jordans and everything. And one of the interesting quotes that stands out to me is he was talking about how the Jewish people who are going back to this homeland that was always there were never an agricultural people. They were always salesmen and all of this stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of a blaring admission from the Jew himself that they're not the people of, of the Bible, just like they say in their encyclopedias. So maybe we'll cover some of that, because you know for a fact that Adamites are farmers, and we're the ones who feed these high-dollar Jews who look down their nose at us. It's ironic, but yeah, exactly, I agree with you. Even if that was true, it just goes to show how Judaized a lot of these people have become to just invent all this stuff to try and defame somebody's character. And how is that defaming? The best prophets of old were menial workers, unemployed, some of them, you know what I mean, or would sleep under the, the shade tree like Jonah and not care. The Bible says not many noble, not many wise. We're not, as far as people coming into Christian identity is concerned, we're not going to get the quote-unquote cream of the crop. We're going to get the lowest of the lows. We're going to get the exactly. lowest of the people, you know, that uh, maybe society, some quarters of society looks down on. But the, these the poor are spirit, kind of people amen. that... that yeah. Christ in particular reached out to, didn't he? Exactly. Blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek. They inherit the earth. I mean, that's exactly what he came for. They that are whole have no need of the physician. And that's exactly, like I said, that's the Jew. The Jew has an aversion to work. And as such, they always flock to high-level pencil-pushing jobs. And Patrick Wang, just one of them, want to attack Mr. Holby, Mr. <laughs> come to my new now. Special 50% off. I know, like every nail salon across America and in every Walmart, you go in there and there's these little Mau Mau Asian yellow women on their knees scrubbing people's feet up and, and doing giving them pedicures and stuff. And you're just like, oh, my goodness. You know, and these people only hire Asians. But if a white man were to hire only whites or Craig Cobb go and have an only white community – well, that's prejudice. That's, that's against it. And what I think is funny is Craig Cobb talking about how he's constitutionally protected to have an all-white community. Well, you know, that's a great dream. I'd like to have that, but I've never really read in the Constitution, especially with its amendments, where that's your right. You really don't have the right. And my opinion is, like I, I should have said, I wouldn't mess with those white boys up there in Leaf. Those people had a country, quiet life. I think the population was 20. And here comes some guy going to change the world upside down. Common sense should dictate that the locals are going to have a problem with a Yankee or an outsider coming in there telling them how to do stuff by default. He would have been and, better and off going up there. And you blame them, Jeremy? I mean, the guy looks like a complete yeah. idiot. He acts like a total retard. I'd, be, I'd worry about it myself. I mean, you think, what's this <laughs> lunatic? People goose-stepping up and down in Nazi costumes, this idiot buffeted bloke going around telling us how, you know, this is, a, this is an expression of his constitutional rights. Well, you know, blow him. Yeah. Yeah, no matter where you live in America, it doesn't matter what city you move to. Technically, the law dictates it used to be 90, but I think it's now 30 days. You have to establish residency, which means you have to transfer all your legal paperwork, get a whole new driver's license, pretty much if you move anywhere. It within except in the same county or the same state. And so what I think is interesting is Craig Cobb really thought that by littering one lot with five or six trailers and campers, he would have votes. That's impossible. It doesn't work that way. You may have voting people, and you may have them all voted within one place. But don't be surprised when the city then comes and starts passing ordinances saying you can't live on a camper on a lot because they do that 
everywhere in America, irregardless of where you live. And anybody who's getting away with like a single white on a lot anyway is grandfathered in. So what I'm thinking is funny is he goes up there and he's bitching because they're not able to vote because they're not residents, these three skinheads. Well, duh, what the hell did you expect? You have to become a resident before you can vote in Leith anyway. I should point out, Jeremy, I used the expression blow. I, I said blow him, as in blow uh, uh, Craig Cobb. But uh, in Australia, that means to hell with. It doesn't mean to perform oral sex on, just in case anyone, <laughs> anyone yeah. misinterpreted yeah. that. I thought I I'd didn't think you were pulling a Marty on that just, one. Just yeah. to cover me tracks on that one. Yeah, yeah. Let me clarify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the queers love talking about. Yeah, faggots are the uh, faggots are the bundles which used to burn the queers, which is true. But they use that, you know, like we don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's something about Salyan. A lot of people don't know is the bonfire, quote unquote. I think we we touched upon that is actually an abbreviated term of the bone fire. And it used to be a night when the Druids would take the faggots, the Jews, the, the introverts, and everybody else. and Half-bearded loons? <laughs> yeah, half-bearded idiots. Yeah, a true Christian society wouldn't see this. And that's kind of what I touched upon before, too, is I'm amazed how people think that they can use your forum, your YouTube, your ministry, or whatever it is, as a soapbox to push your agenda. You put in all, all the hard work, and these queers or whoever else or People who want to promote pedophiles like Samuelson, they can go start their own ministries. They never do. You don't hear a troublemaker out preaching, but he's in every show telling everybody else how to run their ministry. Yeah, exactly. That should tell you something yeah. right there. It, it really does. Jeremy, look, I've got to get going, brother. So uh, okay. next month, on the, um, the next, Wednesday, uh, next Wednesday month, we'll get together. We'll do a DSCI for Dummies on the, the tribe of Dan. That should be a really interesting show, folks. Have a listen to that one. We'll talk... We'll do a, um, a Desert Island Versus. You've got to come up with a subject for that, Jeremy. That's okay. You've got a month. And uh, we'll, 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 we'll speak about Michael, um, David's first wife, and all of the problems involving her and David and um, what it really tells us today. And uh, we'll, we'll do a whole bunch of other stuff. Sounds good to me. I'm looking forward to it already. And I know we've had a great turnout. For the most part, you know, all the trolls left about an hour ago. And, and you know, like I said, I never got an, a negative email, and I do want to clarify that. No one has ever emailed me and said you're better off without Obi. In fact, it's been quite the opposite. Almost everyone who likes me is like, well, what's up with Obi? And I'm like, well, you'll find out. I guess they know now. So I appreciate and, and I would you ask, I would ask you and everyone else to, to – um get your uh, Ashawai's blessing. I'm certainly going to do it myself on this project I'm working on. The Christ- it's, it's, I wasn't going to tell everyone its name, but I, I'm, I, I will now. It's just going to be called Christian Identity Australia. I want, to be, I want to be something generic, so when people type that into a search engine, they'll find my podcast, and my podcast will be, I'll upload it first onto my website, my forum, and then yours, and um, I'm going to put it on YouTube uh, what else, archive.org and maybe a couple of other places. I think there's Sermon Central or something, Sermon Audio or something. Yeah, like I'm that. a fan Sermon. Yeah, Sermon.net. It's a great Sermon.net. Yeah. All right, yep. So I'll upload it on that so people can have a listen and just pray that Yahweh blesses it and that it encourages people, Christian identists, Christians, if you will, living in other countries, other no matter whereabouts in the world, we'll start up their own podcast and start reaching out to people while we still can reach out to our Hallelujah. Own. Yeah. All right, be. Jeremy, on that note, I'll say Yahweh bless to you and our Israelite listeners, and um, 
we'll, 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 um, you'll be able to hear us next month and you'll probably be able to hear me sooner than that when I uh, upload my, um, my first podcast. So Yahweh bless one and all. Yahweh bless, Brother Obi. I appreciate it. See you next month. Okay, bye-bye. And with that, dear kinsfolk, it was another successful Obi and Visser show, and hopefully a lot of questions were answered as to why there were needless questions. What happened to Obi and Visser? Nothing. However, I am focusing more, as you heard, on pulpit sermons, which is really what people desire, and like I had mentioned before, talk show has its purpose, and I certainly don't want to denigrate on what talk show is, and Believe me, dear kinsfolk, there's been times and even Sunday mornings where I've been on other CI preacher shows and there's been sweet fellowship. But for the most part, talk show, you deal with a lot of trolls, you deal with a lot of annies and a lot of screwballs who want to come in and attack you. And that is why I refer to it as the talk show gutter. It truly is the gutter in a lot of ways, and it's been problematic for Obi and Visser for the last year and a half, two years that we've been broadcasting. In fact, I believe it lost one of our shows and a very valuable show, which was Spiritual Gifts Part 1. Fortunately, and ironically, I believe it was a Nimbuster who actually did record it, one of the trolls. And so the grace of Yahweh God, and by his, his working, we were able actually to salvage, I believe, about 60% of that particular broadcast. Obadiah will be focusing on his own, and as you heard, it is titled CI Australia. Hopefully we'll see more of these ministries pop up, because I definitely know that we have listeners around the world, and if you are interested in perhaps even doing your own Christian Identity podcast, or would like a warm-up and, and a little bit of trial, you know, on the Talk Show Radio Network, you could always exercise it for that. But before closing this evening, dear kinsfolk, I'd like to focus in on a specific passage that's found in the epistles of John. First John, that's towards the latter half of the New Testament. And it was loving John who was considered to be the most loving of all of the disciples. It was the disciple whom Jesus Christ loved, and as a result, John... Gospel and John's epistles have no problem straightforwardly saying that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. John's gospels, more than anything else, and John's writings prove that Yahweh God put his flesh within or put his spirit within flesh form and was in the form of Yahshua Messiah. There should be no debating that, but another loving teaching was about the Antichrist and about the state of the world as it is in apostasy you will find that this represents today as it has perhaps every era. But in the first epistle of John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they have, are of God. Stopping right there before even continuing. Do not believe every spirit. That's a very straightforward command. And what that means is these people who come along and they say, well, you... Christian identity, you take everything so literal. You take the Word of God, and, and you put that above faith. And I've, I've mentioned this before, but the reason they say that is because Judeo-Christianity teaches faith only. They basically teach you that you need to follow what's in your heart. Now, you know as well as I do, Scripture kinsfolk, that Jeremiah and other places says the hearts of men is evil. That the out of the heart, Jesus taught, proceeds thefts, adulteries, fornications. And we're not supposed to believe any spirit. And we're to try the spirits. Now, what we're, we're dealing with here is discernment. And discernment is entirely different than judgment. I pointed this out. 
The Pharisee will come along and they will judge. They will say, well, this person's a Jew, meaning he's an Edomite and will be destroyed as per Obadiah 118. How is that not judging? How is that not saying they will not be within the kingdom? But yet that's exactly what that pejorative does. They also come along and they say, well, uh, I have a message for you from God. Jesus Christ said he foretold you all things. And this is the reason why John would say here, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe any angel. Don't believe any demon. Don't even believe your flesh. Rather, believe the word of God. And, you know, by extension, Jesus Christ, because he is the living word. But continuing on, whether they are of God, believe them not, but try every spirit, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, this was written back in 60-some-odd A.D., the reality of this epistle is teaching that there were false prophets already then. And Second Peter begins on that premise, at least the second chapter. It says, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you. Now, do you believe the word of God? If you believe the word of God, then there are false prophets. Ironically, the world will come along and say, well, see, I is full of false prophets, yet they usually seemingly cannot debate you. So, many false prophets are gone out into the world. Verse 2 of 1 John chapter 4. Hereby ye know the Spirit of God. Pay close attention, dear kinsfolk. This is how you know the Spirit of God. This is how you recognize it. And what's it say? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, period. That's how you know. Now, you come along and you say, hey, uh, I want to cut Paul out and his teachings on Jesus Christ. I want to focus solely on the Old Testament. Well, that's Jewish, is it not? That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's denying Jesus Christ. We can also see that overlaid within our Muslim president, right? Because he denies Jesus Christ as well. And his Muslim religion teaches that Jesus Christ was just a prophet, not God himself, as John would straightforwardly prove. You know the spirit of God because every spirit or every person that you meet in life who confesses that Jesus Christ was come in the flesh is of God. That's how you recognize it. Verse 3, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Let's read that again. Every spirit that says Christ hasn't come in the flesh, meaning the Christ or Yahweh didn't come in the flesh and Jesus Christ isn't God, well, that spirit's not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, continuing on. Whereof ye has heard that it shall come, and even now already is it in the world. Now the spirit of Antichrist, and this biblical definition, which the def definition of Antichrist only appears four times in Scripture, and all of them in John's epistles. But Antichrist here is defined by the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is one who does not confess Jesus Christ. Whereof you've heard all the way back then, 60 A.D., that it should come, and even now is it already in the world. Now, who but a false prophet would come along and say that that spirit of Antichrist does not exist? The false prophet does, though. And usually what they will do is they will focus in on a red-horned, pitchfork-yielding Antichrist. And they'll say, that's he. Yet Antichrist is plural. And Antichrist, in all four biblical definitions, is defined as anyone who denies Christ. Coming in the flesh, being God, or denying Christ in general. 
So it is quite ironic how a majority of these Judeo-Christian churches, at least here in the South, were definitely pushing their parishioners to go and vote for Barack Obama, somebody who denied Jesus Christ and his miracles, as do all the Muslims. So at least beware of many of these white nationalist factions who want to go and befriend the Muslims and many of the dark hordes because they say we have a common enemy within the Jew. Well, that may be, but the friend of my enemy isn't always my friend. They could be enemies as well, and that's exactly what the Muslims do. It's exactly what the Antichrist do. Now, who bigger denier of Jesus Christ than the Jew? Because that's exactly what they do, and their entire Talmudic religion is based upon the premise that Jesus Christ is a bastard born of adultery, that Mary was a whore who cheated on Joseph with a, with a Roman, etc., that Jesus Christ is being boiled in dung in hell. Now, these are just writings that are in the Talmud, that your average Judeo-Christian believes that the Jews follow the Torah and the Old Testament. Quite ironic. That spirit of Antichrist denies it. It's in the world. Why? Because the Canaanite was born all the way back in Genesis 3. They've been a plague in the side of Israel, a thorn, if you will, since the dawn of man. They're going to be there until they are taken out, as Obadiah 118, as a verse, points out so eloquently that there shall be none left of the house of Esau, Edom. Now, the Jewish Encyclopedia straightforwardly says that modern Edom is Jewry. That's a quote from the 1980 Encyclopedia, the Jewish Encyclopedia. They themselves don't necessarily claim to be Israel. Yet it is dumb Judeo-Christians who tout that lie. And they do it so flippantly, they say, hey, you know what? Of course, Jesus was a Jew. Just like Pilate. It's an accusation. They mocked him for his accusation, king of the Jews. That alone, the narrative. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? He says, thou sayest. That alone should tell you what was going on. But yet, they believe it so flippantly, and that's the reason why. They're antichrist. They're not Christian. And for centuries, before the 40s, at least, Christianity and Judaism have been diametrically opposed and at war and at odds with each other. You can come along, bastardize it, mix it up, call it a virgin whore if you want. It's still an oxymoron. You could put lipstick on a pig. It's still a disgusting abomination in the eyes of Yahweh God. And that's exactly what Judeo-Christianity is. It's lukewarm feminism, and that's the reason why when you go into those pulpits, the majority of the people behind the pulpit actually preaching are in feminized homosexuals. So much so that when they hear someone like me preach, they hear it on YouTube, they say, I sound arrogant. They don't really like it. They say, I need to tone it down. What's ironic is half the people say, yeah, he preaches as one who has authority. That's the only prerequisite to preach, scripturally. I mean, other than being married, the husband of one wife, etc., you have to preach as one who had authority. That's the commandment. But nonetheless, that spirit of Antichrist neuters men and neuters women. It separates families. And in essence, it takes the spirit of God away. You can go in there and they say, hey, I love Jesus. But what Jesus is that? Is it Yahshua Messiah, the Word of God? Or is it the traditions of man, their own form of godliness, their own bloody Christ hanging from a cross? The Catholics sit there and say, hey, I, I uh, committed deicide. Aren't I great? I killed God in the flesh. Well, be that as they may, the blood of Jesus Christ is not only on the Jew, but it's also on many of those Romans. So beware, you Roman Catholics. Continuing on, verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who? The Antichrist. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ said, 
the devil, Satan, Sataniel, Lucifer, that fallen one, is the prince of this world. Now, no devil's going to come along and say, well, that's not literal, that's not true. They're going to come up with a million and one justifications to explain away what Jesus Christ said. But if he's the ruler of this world, he's Antichrist, his spirit is, and naturally you can look around the world today and see that the world is in a state of Antichrist. Well, then greater is he that is in us than he. We overcome because greater is he that is in us. Nothing that we do. Yahweh God within us. And for sake of brevity, the spirit of Yahweh God within us. And that's the whole point that Obadiah and myself have tried to point out on spiritual guest parts one through infinity, is the fact that it covers both. There's a superficial and there's a deeper aspect to the Word of God, and it is the same exact way when it comes to Israel and the Spirit. Now, you must be racially an Israelite. That's fact. That's given. But there's also a spiritual side. You must become a quote-unquote spiritual Israelite, being a white Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, Germanic, kindred person. So if you're not of this same spirit, meaning wherever two or more are gathered, meaning part of that many-membered body of Jesus Christ, well, then you're the spirit of what? This world and or Antichrist. No, no wonder Jesus Christ said you can serve God or mammon, never both. No wonder he said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Woe unto you voters. Continuing and continuing in every generation are the mistakes of those before it. But also, there is a remnant. And as I've pointed out, they are, the, they are who Yahweh God has his heritage. The remnant within that. So there truly is a remnant within the remnant. And those are the ones that we need to worry about. Why? Verse 5. They, who? The Antichrist, those under its influence, they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Wow, that sounds eerily similar to a statement made by Jesus Christ in John chapter 8, where he says he is a liar and the father of it. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own, because he is that liar. His children, the Antichrist, devil, whatever name you want to put to it, will deny Jesus Christ, and they're of the world. Therefore, everything centers around the spiritual. Consider this. Everything that the world pushes usually pertains to the flesh. And there may be times where you're sitting there, and there's a comedy show on at the dentist's office, and it's perversion to you. It's not funny, yet you hear the laugh tracks. The majority of the world sits there and thinks it's funny. Why? Because the world understands its own. The world laughs at what they deem funny. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. It shall be no different. And so it's the same exact thing. When we break it down, Satan speaks a lie, the children of the devil. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, you Jews that are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father, you will do. Here, John is saying, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. What else? Verse 6. We are of God. We. Who's this book written to? It's not the whole world. And if it was the whole world, I think John, who knew Jesus Christ probably more so than any other, would be able to transcribe that down. But he doesn't. He says, we are of God. Not the whole world is of God. And anybody who wants to be quote-unquote grafted in, he says, we are of God. He that knoweth God hears us. And my, how that's true. 
any man who hears God. doesn't really matter if you go by the title CI. I have people who listen to me from the Catholic Church. I have people who listen to me from the Baptist Church. doesn't really matter, because why? If they hear God, and where do you hear him? In his word, you hear each other. He that hears God hears us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Get that through your head, dear kinfolk. They're not of God. It doesn't matter how much time you spend protolizing, trying to witness to them, trying to teach them. They won't hear it. And that's the point I've pointed out, and I think Obadiah briefly touched upon, about the Samaritan woman and the woman at the well and all of these other examples. They're not of God. They're not going to hear God. Throw them a bone. That's what she was. She was a dog. She ate the crumbs from the master's table. Fine. Let the other races be blessed, but it must come to us first and foremost. Why? Because he that knows God hears us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Spirit of error. So there is the spirit of the world and there is the spirit of truth. Of course, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. Jesus Christ says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. But pay close attention to verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. That's how you know him. Where's the love in all of this? Now, a lot of people could come along and they can justify their rebukes, their attacks of other people. And they can say, well, you know, I'm warning people because I think so-and-so is a millennial. There's no love involved in that. Love is what Jesus Christ taught. And that is why he rebuked the Pharisees time and time again. Why? Because the Pharisees would sit there. They would talk a good game. They would sit in Moses' seat. They would pronounce judgment. They would spend all their time saying, I don't eat with sinners and publicans. This is the reason why Jesus Christ would come along and he would say, they that are whole have no need of a physician. It's no different today. Those that are under the spirit of the world or the spirit of error, as John puts it here, they're not going to be hearkened to. Why? They can't hear God. They're not born of God. And once again, we see another reference to the Greek ek ex. Just like Jesus' parable of the tares and the wheat. Is it literal? Yes, it is. And when he explained it, he said there are children of the wicked one, meaning the devil, those tares, and there are children of God, that wheat company. And so that's the whole parable of the tares and wheat, is to not get them mixed up. Because the tares are of the world. They're a weed. The tares can speak to their own, their own hear it, their own laugh at it, and that's a majority of the world. But they that are of God, they're like that wheat company, more specifically the barley company, that remnant within the remnant. They're able to hear God's voice wherever they are around the world. So let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, the Judeo-Christian is going to take this verse, and he's going to run with it. He's going to say, see, there it is, God is love. But I want to point out to you that that verse does not say that Yahweh God is just love. Because we know, Scripture says that Yahweh God is jealous. Yahweh God can become angry. Yahweh God is wrathful. Yahweh God is a man of war, etc. So being love doesn't mean that he is just love. But what John wants you to get down here is that he who loves is of God. Why? Because God is love. Now the only love that we can show one another is commanded in the Word of God. Love isn't necessarily emotions. 
yet it is by extension. Because the love that we can show our spouse, our kinfolk, our race, for example, by feeding them when they're hungry, by clothing them when they're naked, is stemmed by love. And Jesus Christ taught that. The Pharisee cared little for the people. In fact, they spent so much time, all they could do was judge. And that was why Jesus Christ would come along and he would tell them time and time again, a work. You must do the work. What does it matter if you sit here and you say, oh, well, this woman should be stoned, when you're not, you're not actually exercising the law itself. And that's just the story of a majority of these Pharisees. God is love. Therefore, the only people who can truly love are Israelites with the Spirit of God. Period. Now, I don't care if homosexuals come along and they say, we want to get married because uh, we love They've bastardized, they've Judaized and perverted the entire concept of love. How can I say that? God is love. God says sodomites should be stoned. That's how you show them love. Yet they'll come along and they'll pervert that very simple aspect. Love one another. And this isn't the sloppy agape love that you hear about in the Judeo-Christian church. Just have sense enough that when your brother's in need, help him. If a ministry needs support, do your best. You know, Yahweh God will judge the quick and the dead. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son through the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Understand that. It's not about your love. It's not about giving your heart to Jesus as if it's your heart to give. It's that Yahweh God loved you. Now, if Yahweh God's grace or Yahshua Messiah's grace that was imparted on the cross is enough to forgive this sinner, then it's definitely enough to forgive you. Am I correct? Yet, many people want to come along and they want to take this faith, this walk, and use it as a cloak of maliciousness to judge other people. They get a little grain of truth and they run with it. They say, hey, I don't eat pork. I'm going to judge this man. Such your place to judge. Here we began on the premise, discern. Believe not every spirit. But don't you dare go and say this person can't come into the congregation unless you know for a fact. Because Jesus Christ says, by what measure you judge, you shall be judged in return. Consider that aspect. You can walk along and you could wrongfully call somebody a homosexual who may not be, and you just pronounce judgment on yourself to a lesser degree. Don't be surprised if you're judged as one. That's the whole concept between judging and discerning. Yahweh God loved us. He loved you to forgive you your sins. So you are not the type of person who can come along and say his blood is not powerful enough to cleanse this sinner. To that sinner, that publican, that prostitute, whatever it is. That's Phariseeism, and that's what they've always done, is lifted themselves up. Jesus Christ came for the poor, the meek. We covered that this evening. Not only did he come for the, the poor in spirit, the humble, the lowly, but he came for Israel. He came to be a redeemer, to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now pay close attention to verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4. No man has seen God at any time. Stopping right there. No man. The closest that came to it biblically was Moses, and his visage was changed. Just from being in the presence of a burning bush. 
But no man has seen God and lived. So, when Jesus Christ says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, you think that was a man? Well, that's what the single sea liner wants you to believe. Yeah, he fell from heaven, thrown to God. He saw God. He lived. But that's exactly what they do, is it not? No man has seen God at any time. Continuing on, if we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, that's why you need to love one another. Because if you don't, if your, wax, if your heart becomes wax cold, and the love of many decreases, this is exactly what's going to happen. If you want Yahweh God or his spirit to dwell within you, then you must love other people. You must love your own. How can I say that? Just said it right here. Then he will dwell within us, and his love is perfected. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit, not the whole world. Once again, only God gave and breathed into Adam the breath of life. And because he did that, man became, or Adam, number 120 in the Hebrew, man became a living soul. That was Yahweh's gift to man, Adam, man, all the way back in the garden. All the way back in the very beginning was a little bit of him. And part of that is love. Yet the Israelite men time and time again, well, they have no problem showing jealousy, wrath, and all the other things that God created man in his own image. Because they have that emotion, so does Yahweh God. Yet they seemingly have a problem showing love. You don't have to go up and kiss the neck of another man to do him good, to help him out. He's broken down on the highway. He's a white man. See what you can do. Why? Because in the end times, the love of many will wax cold, and we live within that era today. Well, people don't care anymore. In the late 60s, if Manson killed you know, Sharon Tate through Susan Atkins, well, it was a great thing. It brought, it brought an end to the summer of love. It was terrible. It was horrific. It was covered by every single news outlet across America. Yet now, literally, there are thousands of killings a week that are oftentimes 20 times worse than the atrocities that happened in the late 60s, and no one seems to care. They sit back and they say, well, why should it matter to me? Partially because they're desensitized, but they say, why do I care? Why? Because it's the end times. The love of many will wax cold. All the more reason for the genuine women and men of Yahweh God, his Israelite people, to show that love towards one another. So, take that as a side note. If any man, skipping to verse 20, if, it, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Pay close attention to that. John wants you to understand how you recognize the false prophet, because that's the concept here. That's the topic. What he says is, if a man says, hey, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar, period. Well, there are many people within CI who do just this. They're not. They come along and they condemn so-and-so, who are technically their brothers, but they don't know God. That's why they do it. That's why they want to judge. In essence, being a judge is taking the place of God. Why? Yahweh God is judge. That's why Jesus Christ said, I judge no man. Period. Jesus Christ said when he walked the face of the earth, he judged no man. Yet, if he were to judge, his judgment would be true. That's the difference between man and Yahweh God. Yahweh God will always judge true. Down here on earth, you can murder, you can get away with it. You can rape, and oftentimes the judge will give you 20 bucks and send you out of jail because, hell, they're overpopulated. But not so with Yahweh God. 
Yahweh God, there are no unsolved mysteries. So all those things you think you may have hidden from man and may have will be brought to light at judgment. So at least repent and at least have sense enough to know that Yahweh God is in control. And if any man says, I love God and hates his brother, meaning they spend all their time slandering him, attacking him, going off on them, well, you should already know he doesn't know God. That's what John's saying. He's a liar. Why? For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, can he love God whom he hath not seen? We just covered the aspect that no man has seen Yahweh God and lived. And this is the teaching. If you can't love that bit of God that was breathed within your brother, and Jesus Christ taught this, no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for his neighbor or his race, then you're not of God. Bottom line, this is how you mark false prophets. And of course there are a lot more identifying traits of the false prophet, especially according to Second Peter chapter 2, where he says that they will up with you, they'll dine with you, having eyes full of adultery. They, like natural brute beasts, are meant to be taken and destroyed. Just like the Sodomite. Just like everything Yahweh God says, it's true and it will be found true at that second advent, at that great white throne judgment. Sodomites can go, they can skew the word of God, and they can say Jesus Christ loves homosexuals, as if to say Jesus Christ wasn't God who gave the law commanding that they be put to death. As if to say, Paul doesn't say in the very first chapter of Romans that they're to be put to death, in addition to those who have pleasure with them. So enjoy your primetime television, dear kinsfolk. Hopefully this is not a homosexual on there. But nonetheless, I'm glad to have been with you this evening, and I think it uh, was a successful show, actually. It went off pretty good. I'd like to hear your opinions on that. I know a lot of you brothers who are hanging in there probably you know have much to say so go ahead and shoot us an email let us know what you thought and if you have any show ideas or want to be a future guest or what have you that'd be great again obi and visser last wednesday of every month also swing by covenant people's ministry.org or the christian identity forum.net to stay abreast of future obi and visser shows I, your pastor, yours truly, will continue to produce at least one a week. But we've definitely been maintaining about two a week uh, sermons coming from this pulpit. So I appreciate each and every one of you who has sent support. And I definitely appreciate each and every one of you who have listened this evening, tuned in, helped promote it, etc. And so until next time, this is Pastor Visser from the heart of the Dirty South, which is Brooks, Georgia. Once again... Wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen.